Hello, everybody, and welcome to a new episode of The MinMax Show, a place about games, friends, getting better. My name is Ben Hansen. Thank you for clicking on this. No matter how you're absorbing this right now, you probably clicked on it, tapped on it, and we want to appreciate you and your effort for moving at least one finger to make this happen. I'm joined by the one finger master, Jeff Marquiafava. I have no idea what that means. <laughs> somebody, Let's not think about that. By the way, I'm not asking this on the show, but somebody did write in for uh, community questions this week, and they just said, what do you do with your boogers? It's, like, it's a really a bold community question. Uh, that reminds me, we're joined by Kelsey Lewin. The two-finger master. <laughs> what the hell is that? When did you learn you could do that? Um, My dad can do it, and... <laughs> Uh, for the people who are listening to this, I can kind of move. I can do a little like wormy Whoa. thing with two of my fingers at the same time. Imagine somebody doing. I can also like, do this. I can I, bend the top mm, part. I can do only. a good. I think my thumbs are extra bendy. Is this super bendy thumb? Oh yeah, that's cool. That's, that's cool. pretty bendy. Mm, I, I can yeah. do. I can do this. Ooh. Not oh okay. Bad. Yeah. Just, so we've just all got that a hand, little, not, not this one. We've all got a little bit of, of uh, and that's the show. finger magic. Thanks that's, for watching. Yeah. <laughs> uh, hey, uh, in a confusing roundabout way, if you're watching this on YouTube, thank you for being here. I hope you enjoy our fingers. Um, but did you know that there's an audio version of this show and it's not a Patreon exclusive? The Patreon exclusive version comes a day early and it's uh, ad free. And we appreciate everybody for listening in that feed. But the point is, if you're watching on YouTube, you can subscribe to the MinMax show on your favorite podcast app. And here's the thing. Uh, if you are listening on your favorite podcast app, let's just say Apple Podcasts, the main place where you can leave a review. Here's the thing. Uh, from now until Monday, Monday the 13th, if you submit a review for the MinMax show on Apple Podcasts and include some way to contact you, like email address, Discord name, email address is weird. So Discord ID, uh, Twitter handle, social handle, include that with a review of the MinMax show uh, and you're automatically in the running for a code for Detective Pikachu Returns on Nintendo Switch. We'll get you a copy of that game and ship it out to you. We'll randomize it. So leave a review for the MinMax show, subscribe to it in your favorite podcast app if you're watching on YouTube, and you can win a code for Detective Pikachu Returns. We've done this enough where the odds are actually pretty high because I don't know how many people are left who haven't left a review, but we greatly appreciate it. So thanks for supporting the show in that way. Uh, on this episode of this here podcast, we're talking about Star Ocean, the second story R, the remake of Star Ocean 2. We're talking about RoboCop Rogue City, right, Jeffem? Indeed. Great. And then we're going to talk about WarioWare Move It. Of course, everybody in the world is playing it. Uh, then we're going to be joined by Jay Guisau, um, who was an associate editor at Game Informer and then was an associate franchise editor at Bungie, working on the Destiny franchise. Uh, and unfortunately, he was uh, wrapped up in the big layoffs that happened at, at Bungie recently, but he's a good guy. So we're going to bring him on the show to talk a little bit about his experience moving into game development. And then also we're going to break down whether or not 2023 is the greatest year ever for video games. Something that people keep asking us. And we said, you know what, this is kind of... This is north of a community question. This is a this is a whole topic of the show. Uh, but, of course, then back half of the show, we have wonderful community questions that people submitted over there on Patreon. Thanks, everybody, for supporting the show. A couple things. Uh, you're, you might be listening to this, and we appreciate it if you are, and you're saying to yourself, what is with these morons? Why aren't they talking about Like a Dragon Guide and the man who erased his name? Uh, we're going to be talking about that next week. This is for Kiryu's big return to the Yakuza franchise. I guess, not Kiryu, this is the man who erased 
erased his name very specifically. But this is the shorter Like a Dragon experience. We're going to be talking about that next week. And also, we haven't played Modern Warfare 3. Maybe somebody will get to it by next week. I know Haley McLean was interested, but no guarantees there. But this is a place for games that matter, Jeff Marchiafava. Like, Star Ocean, the second story R, baby. That's right. <laughs> That's right, Jeff. <laughs> yes. I, I'm surprised that you were up for playing this, man. Uh, you know, I had honestly never heard of it. Um, oh, really? When it originally Wait. came out, and I didn't. Oh, okay. <laughs> like, um, you never heard of Star Ocean, the franchise? That's <laughs> yeah, I I guess, yeah. I mean, I, I had never heard of the um, remake and didn't really know anything about um, the original series. But, like, I looked at the trailer. I was interested by the fact that it's real-time combat and figured, yeah, let's check it out. I also I also do like the, you know, the aesthetic of 2D characters on 3D backgrounds and I yeah. just haven't played one of those. Um, you know, there there have been several now that have come out like that, but I haven't really dived into any of them. So, I was looking I forward it. to it. All right, I'm very curious how it all went. Uh, Kelsey, what's your Star Ocean saga? I have never played this is the first one I've played, which is really strange because um it I'm learning is extremely and people have told me this, but like it is extremely up my alley. Yeah. Um I as someone who's played I think every th- single or just about every single Tales of game, like this is its cousin. Yeah. This is you know, like they they're very they're very on the same plane and so um this definitely feels like a good one to start with, knowing nothing else about, uh, you know, where they all stack up. But um, yeah, first Star Ocean I've played and I'm not to, uh, you know, spoiler alert here, but I am enjoying this. Ooh, all right. Good, 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 good. I'm so excited to talk about this. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, it's weird. You talk about how it's a cousin of the, the Tales series. And yeah, so I mean, I guess the development history is like the first Star Ocean game on Super Nintendo. It was developed by some people who split off from Tales of Fantasia. Like that game's development. I don't know if it was out or still in development when they split off to start Star Ocean, the whole series over here. And it is, I mean, mainly, I guess, the real-time combat, right, is the big connective tissue between these two. Yeah, I mean, they feel they feel very similar in how the combat plays out. I mean, you have, you know, you have some, like, special attacks that are with a single button and otherwise you are moving around in a, like, you know, smallish arena, but it's it's a... You are actually moving around and attacking. This is not turn-based. There's yeah. nothing turn-based about it. Yeah, I mean, I remember pitching this game to people back in the day. So it came out in 1999, the original Star Ocean 2. And it's a little bit like Final Fantasy where you, you can jump in. You don't have to worry about previous entries, yada, yada, yada. There's connective tissue, I'm sure. The super fans will inform you of. Um, but I remember when this game came out in 1999, it was like, you know, I was already in love with Final Fantasy VII trying to think i probably you know love xenogears at that point um maybe i played tales of destiny 2 at that point i'm trying to remember the timeline exactly but um but i remember like trying to pitch this game to people where i was like no no so it's kind of like final fantasy 7 except you get to like run around and like you can you can like hide behind a rock in combat that was like my big pitch it's like no it's like an action game because you can hide behind a rock if you really want to and you know, it, it's not the most uh, elaborate real-time action. It's still a lot of kind of mashing buttons and casting spells and stuff like that, but under the guise of some more action-packed RPG combat. But I, I loved the game back in the day. It was like a big one for my circle of friends. Um, and playing this remake, man, I really, really love it. And I'm trying personally to figure out how much of it is just 
rekindling so many old jokes and so many old memories of like sitting in basements in Minnesota playing this game with friends over and over and over again versus like, I think this game holds up really well. And the remake, you know, what they've tweaked in it is incredibly smart. But does it feel like a quaint old RPG to you, Kelsey? Or does it feel like it's it's holding up well? No, and that's that's part of what's been... Um really exciting for me and I, I really I honestly haven't done that much research onto what they have changed yeah. uh, for the remake because I've never played the first one um, but it it does it feels fairly fresh I mean you have you know your the art style is is a kind of blended version of the graphics from the original like you you know you are pixel art characters on yeah. a more like 3d you know it gives a little bit of the octopath traveler kind of thing where you just have a you know really gorgeous background and then a more uh you know 2d simple sprite but um yeah i mean i don't know so there are there are complicated things about this game that i think hinder it but not in a old rpg way in a it, it's almost like it's more modern complications if that makes sense like uh all of this all this ic stuff and uh <laughs> the skills you, there's a there lot are like going on in there five different types of points you get after every battle to assign to different things it is a complicated system and it is very necessary like you don't necessarily have to be super smart about where you're placing all these things right but if you don't do it you are screwed like it is not <laughs> it is not optional you mean just and like because you get so thing. much xp from it and stuff well like you leveling up only does so much you are getting all these other points to put into different things that do every single thing seems like it does five different things. Um, I'm going to try to explain this the best I can, but it's uh, it's complicated. So you have all of these different specialties that um, you can teach each party member, and it's very random things. Like, cooking makes sense, but then it's things like writing and music and pickpocketing and uh, training animals and, like... That sort of thing. Yeah, like um, aesthetics. And it's like, what, yes. what does that even mean? Go to and level you, three for aesthetics. It's not that complicated. And when yeah. you put points into these things, it can possibly uh, increase like your, you know, your music uh, overall level. And it will also put points into different battle uh, related things like your intelligence increases by plus two or your strength increases by, you know, whatever. So, um it's but then then you can also use those skills later so for instance i you know one of my party members uh knows how to do uh some music stuff and then you can uh compose a song and then you can play that song to have more enemies appear on the battlefield or less enemies appear on the battlefield so cool. or um recover mp while walking and like that is just music that's just and there's like 15 of these have you painted portraits and, of and the characters that's yet? just the specialties area because there's also different like battle points you put into things to give you a chance at a random defense boost or a random evasion boost or like it is nuts how complicated this is and i keep looking at this and being like this was on the ps1 this is <laughs> like i need a i need graph paper for this and as it turns out like I'm sure this will change as you get closer to the end of the game. But um, as it turns out, as long as you are spending the points and thinking about it like 20%, you're probably fine. Like you're yeah. not putting all of your points into something that, um, you know, is for 
uh, attack on your mage or something like that. Like, you know, you have to think about it a teeny tiny bit, but like, as long as you are sort of thinking about it, you're probably fine. Um, yeah, I don't want to intimidate but, uh, anybody away from it because I do feel like the core combat is so approachable, especially with the action focus and the gameplay itself is super approachable. It's just if you want to optimize things, there's a lot going on under the hood. But uh, as somebody who's allergic to systems in games and complicated systems, like it's not it's not that complicated. You go in there, you assign some skills. It's like, OK, I need this to get this. So I need to upgrade this. Blah blah blah. It's just kind of some menu navigation that you can do and you should do, you know? Yeah, but, but I do I mean, find myself like after nearly every battle going in and assigning points to stuff and like it, I, I want to be clear that, you know, you really do only have to think about it 20 percent, which makes this very palatable. But if you had to really think about it, this would be unplayable. Like, And I love this game. I love this game. Oh, but good. If you oh, good. had to like really think about every point you were spending. No. And also because some of like some of the um different skills like you you have to unlock you have to put levels into several of them it's like a combination of like okay you got to do pick pack pickpocketing and sleight of hand and this other thing and that right. will unlock like a super specialty and like all of that stuff is is way over my head but Kelsey, Kelsey's also right in the sense that like you you will quickly become uh underpowered if you're not going in and figuring out like okay this attack increases my or this this skill increases my blade attack and i need to put you know like 10 levels into that now in order to just kind of keep up and then like and and i do i do appreciate that like it's not just okay ding you leveled up great now you're a little bit more powerful like yeah. you do get to go in and really customize those things but that includes like base you know quality of life upgrades to your attack in order to stay you know like uh, relevant in 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 combat because otherwise you're gonna start getting like like I I was doing really good at the beginning I was like oh man I'm totally like kicking butt on these very simple uh you know battles and whatnot you you do kind of like the first little mission and then it was like I went into, I went into some cave area as like the first kind of side quest that another character joins you and they're like oh let's go look for this treasure in this cave and like immediately got my ass kicked oh wow (laughs) and and part of part of like the solution to that was i just hadn't leveled up for a little bit and like i could boost my attack i uh, boost my attack like four more levels and that kind of got me a little more viable for that situation but it is yeah it, it it is a really interesting system and once you open up yeah all those secondary skills and stuff it's like what is this of course i'm going to do fishing and i want to do cooking but then there's like all these weird kind of artistic ones and it's like how are these even going to come into play it's it's really unlike anything that i at least i have played um in the rpg yeah, space which in, is in that way which is why I think it doesn't feel old at all is because like, this is a formula that no one else took and ran. <laughs> like no one else was like, we should give them this level of like, if you, if you are a nerd for this stuff, I think you'll go, you'll go crazy for it because you really can probably make some very, very broken builds yes. is yep, 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 what yep. it, what it feels like it's building towards. I mean, yeah, you mentioned some of the artistic ones. There's like an art one where um, you can, like create 
battle items and like permanent buffs and stuff it seems like just all kinds of weird things um the writing one can give you like permanent upgrades to certain things because you wrote a manual on fish or whatever and now you're then you have <laughs> someone else read the fishing manual and then you're better at fishing like it's it is it is crazy how layered this is and yeah. um and it doesn't my my one com or I mean I guess I have a couple complaints with it, but the biggest complaint for me is there's just really not a lot of uh, in game guidance on like where you should start with this because I I I unlocked one of the abilities or specialties or what they're they're called five different things um, where you can decrease the amount of uh, full like the money in the game F O L um, that you get for uh, an increase in experience and there's not a lot to buy in this game so far where i'm at which is like nine ten hours in um and so that was like a game changer but the game never like unless i'm just reading through tons and tons of menus and reading through absolutely every option like there's i wish there was a little more highlighted to be like by the way this is a good place to start right. like See, this one gives you attack or, you know, HP or something. Like, start with these, maybe. <laughs> and then there's a mountain of yeah. other stuff, an ocean of other stuff, if you will, underneath the hood. Yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> you're hearing you talk about just getting your ass kicked at a certain point, Jeff. I'm like, yeah, I think it was like a mountain pass. Oh, I'm trying to remember. There's some place. Oh, it was the place with um, Celine in her hometown. Like, going into the woods, there was just like, every time it would be a battle with a group of, like, witches or like magic people. It's like four of them. It's like, I, okay, this is brutal. I'm going to get my ass kicked again and again. But it's really nice um, because in this, they let you kind of retry. If you die, you don't have to start over from the last save point or something. It's just like, hey, do you want to do that battle again? We'll start you at your screen. You can use some items ahead of time if you want to jump back in. So, I mean, the wild thing about the combat in Star Ocean 2 in particular is like it's so fast. It just feels like mm -hmm. if you get pinned between two enemies, it's going to be... It's going to be a bad time for you, buddy. Like, your health bar is draining fast. And if you can't quickly get a recovery item or get Reyna to heal you real quick, like, it's going to go south fast. So it's fun to have an RPG that's just, like, super fast encounters, but, like, you have to be on top of it at all times because it can just spiral down so fast. But no harm done in the remake. Like, just retry the battle and jump back right in, you know? I do love that. Um, and there's a really good... Uh move Claude can learn, by the way, for that exact scenario that heals him while kind of doing some like yeah. circular area of effect damage. That's that's been a lifesaver for me. But um yeah, I mean I don't we haven't talked about the story or anything at all. Um <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. It, it's a good RPG. It, it starts in space and then you're not in space anymore. And I, that's probably as spoilery as we should probably get with it, but you know, you, you get a band of people together as you adventure around trying to figure out how to get back to space. Yeah, it's, it's a cool premise where you get to choose uh, between Claude and Reyna in the beginning who you want to play as. And it's basically, Claude's story is Star Trek and basically he's warped <laughs> magically to a primitive medieval fantasy RPG world and trying to work his way through. And Jeff, you'll never imagine this. They have a prophecy on this planet about a hero of light who might come to help the world. And uh, people think Claude's the hero of light, but oh. he's like, oh, I couldn't possibly be the hero but of light. But surely not me. No. <laughs> I mean, I do have a laser sword that does shine out a beam of light, but, the, you know, Other coincidence. It's so weird because I don't think I had really encountered much Star Trek. I'm trying to think. Probably I watched a couple episodes of Next Generation on TV. It was like, oh, it's that Whoopi Goldberg show. Sure, got it. But, like... 
Watching the intro to this, I got so geeky and excited again in a way that I'm sure Star Trek fans get excited about Star Trek. Like, when I saw that spaceship again that you see in the opening cutscene, which is just full, like, Star Trek first movie slow reveal of revealing the Enterprise level, like, I audibly was like, Yes, like I love that ship so much and just having like space porn of Claude's ship and his dad's ship before you get beamed out of the planet and the journey actually starts. It just kind of was the first note that this game has just been hitting again and again of like, God damn, I loved this game. How did I forget how much I love this game? Um, but where are you guys at? Are you a Claude or Reina people? I did Claude because I looked up who's got the better story and it's pretty <laughs> unanimously Claude, so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I started with Claude as well because wow. I, I didn't know what, what was like, Oops. what was the, you know, classic choice. Um, and so I I figured that was probably like the default back in the day that they probably put the most work into, but. Yeah, it, it's sad because I was trying to, rock, paper, scissor you guys and think about, okay, well, I bet they're going to choose Reyna because she's the cool underdog choice. And I was Reyna when I first played this game. So now I'm going Claude, baby. And it's sad that we all chose <laughs> sci-fi Claude coming down to the planet. But like, it's not, it's not a wild difference. Like there's definitely pockets that you probably have all seen where like Reyna will go off and do her own little adventure for like half of a quest and stuff like that so you see a little bit of a difference there and then each gets yeah. a different character like a special bonus character so if you've encountered diaz oh. like the cool swordsman guy uh who looks like sephiroth a little bit and he's very cocky he does join you if you're reyna only if you're reyna and he's super good and so that's kind of okay. the twist is like maybe a better full mm. scope of the story if you're claude but i think ashton is the Claude exclusive character then? Do, do you all have Ashton yet? <laughs> I do. Okay. I don't, yeah. I, I, I forgot about Ashton's origin story. <laughs> Kelsey, can you walk us through the origin story of Ashton because uh, podcasting about video games is fun? Yeah, I mean, I guess this is a, a game from like 1999 or something, so we can do some spoilers. But spoilers ahead, just so you know. Um, so Ashton is a guy who was fighting a dragon, which this dragon... Uh, quest is optional right yeah, like yep. i just went back because it felt fun but that did not seem necessary at all is you know you hear rumors that a dragon is attacking a town and you're like oh we'll go back there we'll see what's up with that dragon yeah um and you get there and you realize this guy is already fighting a dragon he's got two swords and everything and um in the middle of the fight you're you're trying to cheer him on because you're in kind of like a a, a cave here it's difficult to fight the dragon yeah they make some some line about like oh it's too narrow so i guess we just have to be cheerleaders for this random guy fighting a dragon so so they start cheering on ashton and he turns around in the middle of the fight for some reason is like would you guys shut up and then the dragon fuses with him which i was like just for again for me never playing this game this was not i was a and i'm sure that was what they were going for is like you are meant to believe that this dragon is going to murder him and right. you're going to have that blood on your hands or whatever. But no, he fuses with him and now he has two different like talking dragon heads. They don't speak. They speak through him, I guess. Like he translates for them. But you've just this guy walking around with dragon 
coming out of his back and he's so upset about it he's like you've ruined my life like you need to we need to get rid of this and yeah um, and he kind of sounds there's voice acting for uh a lot of the story now which is which is new normally it was just kind of in, in the battle where they'd shout out the names of the moves and stuff but he kind of sounds like a john c Riley type ashton he's like look at me i'm permanently I'm disfigured listening. i'm disgusted i'm a freak <laughs> I'm listening to the Japanese voices, so I'm oh. gonna have to switch just to hear that. You gotta hear, but it's very like, funny. it's again <laughs> kind of the art of the RPG intro and what it takes just to stand apart. And I feel like this game's intro sucks me, and even though it definitely has its cliches of like the monster is getting more dangerous in the world, but a character like Ashton, it's like what an interesting character out of the gate where he's fused with two dragons, and he's like, "Sweet Jesus, help me! I need to come with you guys because we need to get these dragons off of me. I hate this. You take full responsibility for it." And then you're like, "Okay, well, let's figure out how to like exercise dragons from this guy's body. How do we separate these two? So you go on this whole side quest to figure out how to separate it, and then you find out like. Oh, wait a minute, though. If we get the dragons off them, the dragons are going to die. And we kind of like the dragons and we call them creepy. The girls and in your weeping. party are like, you can't kill those poor dragons. Right. And they're like, yeah, He's I guess like, we can't I'm do I'm a freak. <laughs> yeah, so it's like this fun split of him begging for his life. And it's like, yeah, but we like the abominations that have attached to your body. So we're just going to kind of keep it that way for now, Ashton. It's, it's a good premise for a weird, interesting character. And then it's, I, a, it's a very good character. I it's I think it's been a while since in a JRPG. Um, actually, well, Octopath Traveler too has some really good characters too. But it's been a while since I felt just like genuinely surprised by a JRPG character. Right, like I had zero percent expecting this. Like this is hilarious, and I'm I'm all for it. <laughs> yeah, and I love like Celine, who you also get early. Just I love like how mean she is. Like, Reyna and Diaz are going off on a little mission on their own. She's like, what kind of crap are Reyna and Diaz pulling out here? And, like, she just, she's, it's a good group dynamic, which is, like, all I want. I want a good group dynamic and to go on a wild adventure. Like, that is what I want from an RPG. And I feel like this game is just rekindling everything I love. Um, to the point that I do feel guilty about, like, playing the remake of this game. I was like, I should really go back to Sea of Stars. Kelsey, I know you're the champion of Octopath Traveler 2, but... I think I just, every ounce of my being wants to keep playing the Star Ocean 2 remake. Am I flawed, Kelsey? Does it feel like this is a fine thing for a remake, but like compared to Octopath Traveler 2, who are we kidding? Um, no, I'm, I like, this really shocked me. I oh, assumed oh, I was going to like it, and I think I really love it. Uh, mm. It's not without its flaws, but like I'm, it, I'm mad that this is the first time I've really sat down with the Star Ocean, and that's a that's a good thing for a game to do to you to be like you've been missing out on so much. Yep, yep, and, and it's tough. It's like there's so many great games to play right now, but it's like if you like RPGs, don't forget about the Star Ocean Two remake. Because yeah, I mean we haven't really touched on it too much, but uh, so the development team for the remake is called Gem Drops, and I hadn't heard of any of their previous games, but like it's this is one of my favorite remakes ever already i just feel like they have taken the right level of tweaks for an old jrpg going to this like if you're not doing the full final fantasy 7 spend 300 million dollars on a remake project like this level of remake is just perfect where we're taking the old game keeping the sprites from the old game but kind of that hd2d thing we're going to build out a 3d world for those sprites to run through but they're still the original sprites like the same art and everything Uh, but then adding an objective marker on the map so you always know exactly where to go 
We're removing all random encounters, even on the world map. You can speed up all of the story sequences uh, by holding, you know, ZR. Um, I'm playing on Switch. Um, and then having the option to retry battles is right there. There's like an equip wizard uh, shortcut. So every time you get new equipment, it's like, hey, this is stronger. Do you want to just equip this right now? It's like, okay, perfect. Fast travel to any town any dungeon, any spot, there's a save point in there. And then also adding like extra challenge missions in there. And then adding like uh, some complexity to the combat too, where like um, you're picking up items or little glowy orbs, every enemy you defeat. And it's building up basically a combo that you get bonuses and boosts for. And that can break, uh, you know, if you get attacked from the back, stuff like that. Um, and so it's just adding like more carrots to the stick of this old RPG and then just smoothing out everything else. And it's just, it's, it's perfect. It is the perfect level of remake, uh, you know, new music, but also they include the old music. So you can switch back to the original compositions. They if also you really included want to. all the uh, old portraits too, which I right. thought was really cool. I don't know if you noticed that, but you could, um, you can toggle through the portraits and have the, I assume the like little super anime looking ones are from the PSP remake. I didn't yes. check that I though. I think so. Yeah. I didn't play the PSP remake, but yeah, second evolution was the name of that thing that released a while ago. Yeah, um, but they the the newest art is definitely the I I think it's by far the nicest. It's uh the the original art is very like of the time '90s manga, you know, how to draw manga book yeah. <laughs> kind of stuff. And then the uh, the middle one's kind of too anime for me. I like I like what they're going for now. Yeah, uh, yeah. Apparently, it's about like 35 hours to beat the game. Um, that's it. That's it. It's doable, Kelsey. And like they speed things up and that fast travel, like everything is there just to make it as breezy and smooth and pleasant I, as possible. I thought there was no way I was like a quarter of the way through the game. That's okay. All right. Yeah. I'll finish I, it. I find myself kind of flying where like <laughs> I'm maybe seven or eight hours in and I'm like, oh, what level? Oh God. I want to say like high twenties already. So it's like, oh God, I'm really flying through this thing and there's a lot yeah of, i got like, my first level 30 so okay yeah nice 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 are you like on the new continent then have you gone across the ocean to that level yes okay i bet we're roughly in the same spot yeah um but yeah that's that's star ocean baby jeff um uh i know there's a lot to play what's your interest level in sticking with second story yeah or? that that's the only problem but i i definitely want to play more and it's it's a testament to the game that like for as simple as the combat is it's just really satisfying to run in and mm-hmm. almost treat it like a beat em up. Yep. You yep. have a couple special moves. Mm-hmm. You can switch between all the characters on the fly and they all have their own moves that you're also leveling up as you go. And it's just a fun little combat loop that I think about even when I'm, you know, have to have to play Alan Wake 2 and, and like <laughs> other games. It's like it, I, I think of it as as like that perfect switch game of like I could play 10 minutes of this and be happy with those 10 minutes mm-hmm. and then, you know, do what, do whatever else I need to do. And and so if it, it feels like one that I want to, I want to keep coming back to. Yeah. I, I noticed the, the switch version, I assume it's not on the other versions, but, uh, there is like uh, the loading. It's not too obnoxious, but like, you know, every combat encounter, uh, there's a little bit of a load where if you look at a cute little bunny, which is very Nopon like uh, from Xenoblade in the corner of the screen. Um, and that just pops up again and again and again. So I assume the other consoles are better on that front, but there's a free demo for everything if anybody wants to check it out. To Am see I going to learn what that bunny is at Oh, some point? you'll learn the bunny. 
You'll learn okay. the ways I of the bunny. There's, there's some like super specialty that says something that's something like yell bunny or the description is just like everyone yells yeah. bunny as loud as they can. Like, what <laughs> on earth? Is this related to the weird rabbit in the corner that I keep seeing? What on earth is this? It's absurd. <laughs> I'd love to just uh, talk about the combat and stuff. I love that like one of Reyna's first spells is just crush. And it's just a giant metal sphere that falls out. Like it just looks so big and bold for like, you know, most RPGs, the first spell, it's like, I don't know. Some sparks fly out of my hand. You get a little damage. Like, no, I just make the Death Star crash onto the battlefield, basically. It's so yeah, cool. she's she's crushing people all the time as I'm running up to punch them. And it's like, oh, well, no, you're under the giant bowling ball now. So <laughs> I'll go to the other guy. Uh, yeah, that's Star Ocean, everybody. Um, don't forget it. It's out and good. Um, okay, uh, Jeff, you've been playing RoboCop? Rogue City. I played some. I played some RoboCop. Yeah. Okay. Are you uh, um, one of those RoboCop nutsos out there? I don't know if I'm a nutso. Okay. I enjoyed the original movie. Saw the first one too young and was scarred like all children of the '80s. Perfect. Um, you know, and uh, yeah, I guess my big takeaway is they. If I mean, if you've seen screenshots from the game, they clearly have the characters' likenesses down to a T. And the, and you can you can just kind of feel like the love of those old movies in them in them and also like the squad car which is clearly just you know like an old grand marquee or whatever that was dressed up for the movie that that they have perfectly replicated. Um, but it's it's a it's a new story. Both you know Lewis and Murphy are the same you know same actors as as in the original. Um, but it, it's a new story, and as soon as you as soon as they start introducing um, like the villains, the, the villain characters, there's kind of a, there's a gang running around rogue city, which I, which I, is still just Detroit. I don't know why it's called rogue city. I'm <laughs> yeah, but new Detroit has it. gone rogue, I guess. Sure. Yeah. Uh, but the, the villains come off a little more, a little more DC villain than, than what I would f- and this is very nitpicky. I guess I am one of those RoboCop nuts because yeah. as soon as I start playing it, it was like, okay, this is a little more comic booky, you know, like black and white, very, very Joker esque, you know, like crazy villains. Uh, then, then what I, <laughs> what I associate with kind of the the original RoboCop um, aesthetic and and the voice acting kind of kind of bleeds into that where it's like. Everybody's doing, you know, capital V video game voice aside okay. from the main, you know, the main actors. Um, I mean, isn't, so, isn't kind of the, the high level takeaway from this game? Like it's a RoboCop game that's shockingly good. Uh, yeah, yeah. So shockingly good for the expectations that you were probably going into it. Okay. Is, right. is what I would say. It's, it's, you know, between a seven and an eight kind of like, as an as a as a more kind of traditional shooter, kind of it kind of has those vibes of like an older shooter. Except in this case, you're walking around with RoboCop and you have RoboCop's super gun, and you know, and and what more do you want? It's it <laughs> it has it has very. Um, I think was it Soldier of Fortune, the game where you were like it was really focused on dismembering enemies back sure. in like the 90s you know like it has that kind of vibe of like the power fantasy of being robocop which is exactly what what you're probably playing this game for um yeah. but weirdly also 
like the most satisfying thing about the game that I found is using environmental objects. Like the the most OP weapon in the game is not your Auto Nine. It's picking up computer monitors, like big old <laughs> CRT computer monitors, and just chucking them at people because. The explosion is so ridiculously overdone and characters fly through the air <laughs> as like lightning bolts shoot out of the, I, I mean, they were very dangerous, I guess, compared to LCD screens of yeah. nowadays, but it's, it's, it's a bit, I mean, ultimately if you're a Robocop fan, it's worth playing. Yeah. And and I totally get like, that is why people are saying it's, it's shockingly good because I think people are going in with such low expectations as it is, it's it is a weird kind of interesting take on a first person shooter because it's also like RoboCop is very slow moving and you don't it's that's a it's a weird mix of being really powerful but also really slow as you're going around these environments and they kind of do an open world thing where you go to these different zones but they have to keep them small enough that you can slowly stomp around them as you're going from objective to objective. So it's not, it's not like a, just the full big open city, but they're, they're doing interesting things with it. And they're, they're weird, like throwaway side quests where, (laughs) where they care much more about like trying to build your emotional connection to RoboCop and stuff. There's one where you're, you're in the police precinct and like the guy at the front desk is just like, we got a million people here. Will you open up another computer and like help me with some of these people coming in? And then you just like, you just have like three or four people come up to you and they're talking to you about whatever their problem is. And you're, you know, you're doing you you get to choose your answers, but it's all very much RoboCop esque. Like you can't tell them what to do with their dog. That's against the law. Get out of, you know, like that kind of thing. But then like the last woman who comes up is like, worried about her son because her son's been missing for two days and and you have the option to be like well a missing report you can't file a missing report until 72 hours or whatever or like like the entire time it's there was more role playing in this than i expected because they give you all the answers and it's like well i know what robocop would say in here because he's more robot than human at this point but like that was one where i was like yeah okay i'll ch- I'll, I'll look it up for you and see what's going on and then it turns out that her her son died and like RoboCop has to break the news, but he's you know still <laughs> RoboCop, so he doesn't do a great job with it. But it's just like of all the things that I was expecting from this game, like delving into the humanity of RoboCop right. through the lens of dealing with this grieving mother was certainly not one of the things. And then after that, you go straight out to the next level and you just blast a bunch of goons and their heads are exploding everywhere. And it's, you know, it's a... 90s type of shooter so it it's it's a really interesting kind of mix of a weird game it's not you know gonna compete with like the polish of you know modern warfare or anything like that but in terms of being more interesting like this has definitely definitely gotten my interest and and makes me i've thought about it much more than i was expecting going in yeah yeah, speaking of Polish, I guess it's a Pola, Polish developer. Uh, speaking of Polish, I guess it's a Polish developer is what I was trying to say. There. But uh-huh. yeah, the developer's name is Tayon. 
Uh, and they made that Terminator Resistance game that came out a couple years ago that is also in that same camp of like, okay, Terminator game, got it, got it, got it. And then it came out and it's like, you kind of hear it in passing, like, wait, that game's good? I don't have time right now, but that, that's interesting. And it's interesting yeah. that they're following it up even more so with, with RoboCop it, here. It seems like they have found their niche of really understanding these old 80s action right. franchises and recreating that in a in a video game format that does more than than those games have traditionally done with licenses yeah. like that. So Yeah, and the expectations were so low because I think everybody remembers we all played that RoboCop game on the original Xbox, which is a turd, but Kelsey, are you hip to the <laughs> um are you hip to the uh, RoboCop game on the Game Boy and the weird legacy uh, of that game? I mean, no, no, I don't know like I mean, I'm aware of its existence. Okay. I don't know what the what the weird legacy uh, is. The though. weird legacy is it's a RoboCop game for the Game Boy and the title theme for this RoboCop game on the Game Boy, the music is, like, otherworldly good. Uh, I'm looking it up oh, on YouTube, yeah. and it's got, like, 400,000 views, at least on this video. Just oh, it's, being like, like, it's like the Pictionary NES soundtrack. It's exactly like just that. like, what? Yes, not Tim Fallon's. <laughs> it's not a Tim Fallon's joint, but it is okay. so damn good. It's very much in that vein that, like, it was so good. Somehow it was, like, licensed for, like... I want to say like washing machine commercials or something like it just was picked up because they knocked it out of the park to such a degree. So it's nice yeah. uh, that it's carrying through here. I, do we, I do we know have... who the composer is? Is that Robocop? Is that... <laughs> Robocop himself. <laughs> That's composer? right. He, he put some wow. points into, into music skill. Uh, <laughs> Was able to compose it himself. And got a, I, got a feather pen or whatever to yeah. make him. Yeah. I I, sh- I should have mentioned that the music is definitely one of the highlights of the game as well because oh, really? it's all the original music uh, from the movies. And every time the RoboCop theme song kicks in as you're shooting people, it's like, well, this is just the best thing that I've ever played. And that's where your shockingly good comes from. I think it's right, like right, 70% right. Uh, that kick-ass soundtrack. Um, yeah. And then the by rest the way, is there all is CRT a, uh, monitors. <laughs> Uh, by the way, there is an interview on Time Extension with Jonathan Dunn, who is the composer for that RoboCop title theme. So oh, I'm gonna perfect. I'm gonna read that later. <laughs> okay, that's a good get a little of this. Let's just preemptively shove it out there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> let's see. Uh, we talked about it a little bit last week, but only Kyle had played it. But uh, WarriorWare Move It um, is the new WarriorWare game on Switch. Uh, I played a lot of it over the weekend. This is the one that's spiritual successor to Smooth Moves on the Wii, which I'd imagine you're a fan of, Kelsey? Okay, she's nodding. Yes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone is, right? I think so. I. It was definitely fun for multiplayer. I remember being a little bit of a naysayer for Smooth Moves uh, just because like, having that extra step of them needing to tell you what pose you needed to be in before you did the micro game, like naturally slowed down the insanity. And I feel like this version is faster, but it's still like an extra hurdle of like, okay, be in this pose, then jump into the game. Here's your verb. You know, whereas I love WarioWare for like, I want faster and faster and faster until my eyes and hands are bleeding. Like that's, that's the core fun of WarioWare. So this thing, it is, it is faster than smooth moves and you can jump right into multiplayer without having to beat the game first, which is very nice. Um, but <laughs> Kyle talked about it last week, but it just, it's so weird that to play it, like to play the campaign, especially with two players, um, each person needs to have the Joy-Cons, but then they need to have those little straps like locked into the Joy-Con. So I actually had to go out and buy mine because I threw those away like five years ago. I'm like, when am I ever well, going to need these? I heard you guys say that last week. Why are you throwing things away that what? come with the Switch? I don't understand. I think it was honestly like when I moved 
into the new place. I was thinking of things to move and I was like, you know what? These are like at the bottom of my big. The, these are way too, they'll take up way They're too so much stupid. space. They're so stupid. And honestly, yeah. I was thinking in what universe would I ever need to strap myself to a Joy-Con? And the answer was a WarioWare game releasing in 2023 where you have to like but, dangle things from your arm. It, it's not just the strap. Like if you are using the Joy-Con outside of the switch itself and you're not yeah. putting it into the little like dog ear thing you know you're just using a single joy con like it's awkward without that little top piece that's your shoulder buttons I, yeah i feel like those buttons are mushy and gross i'd rather have the weirder it's better than the weird like like trying to get into <laughs> the like the indent i hear you i prefer that just for the simplicity of like i just want to snap it off and jump right to it i don't want to snap it off then go dig around at the bottom of the controller bin where's this weird thing naked man that's Look, nothing you do is going to make a Joy-Con feel great in your hands, Kelsey. <laughs> it's still a freaking Joy-Con. But anyways, I had to make the big trip to a Target to buy the strap so I could really soak in everything good about WarriorWare. Um, I, I, I enjoyed my time with it a lot. Like, you know, every, every once in a while I want to be a little bit critical about WarriorWare because I'm a weird WarriorWare snob at this point. But I'm like, you know, I haven't played Jackbox yet this year. But as of now, WarriorWare Move, it's like the hardest a game has made me laugh this year. It is just... So stupid and so silly. And the fact that there's so much movement in this, um, fans of butt stuff and butt jokes will really like WarriorWare Move It. It's a lot mm. of, all right, you got to put the controller down by your butt and shake it around, like, you know. But it's just fun implementations of that, like, you know, 9 volts levels, which are all Nintendo throwback stuff. It's like, okay, you're playing Mario 3 with a Tanuki suit, so you got to put the controller down by your butt and then shake your butt around to shake the Tanuki tail. Or here's, like, a game where you have to basically make a shape with your butt by moving it around or you have to stomp your butt down onto a conveyor belt to like <laughs> hit these whoopee cushions that are going by it's good silly stuff and like one of the first games makes me laugh so much where the pose is just holding a joy con out in front of you like super simple stuff but then just the micro game that they have is it's just like a big ballroom and there's just one weird looking guy who's walking across the ballroom towards you with a drink like eh, eh, and you just have to like click his drink but it's just the perfect warrior joke of just it's the weirdest idea to have somebody charging at you from across a ballroom and you have to click their clink their drink real quick as you move on to the next one it's it's a good time it's it's just good silly ugly ugly art if i may say is part of the wario charm at this point like it's fun to see a nintendo game where some of the art looks like b-tier flash animations like there's a game with football players it's like a boss mode in this one that is truly one of the ugliest things i've ever seen nintendo produce and i love it for it it's just so nasty um i do think maybe i'm being a contrarian but i do think i still prefer get it together i think that game gets too much crap but i went back to that one still the other switch one where you have to control the character on the screen and i think i still prefer that versus the standing up and flailing around and some of the games especially the ir sensor stuff isn't really working too consistently for me in this one like that's just a little too frustrating for me but uh we'll be playing this game uh in our big charity stream uh in the moon studio that's coming up saturday december 2nd so if you want to see a group of us um, drawing shapes with our butts. Uh, tune in, everybody. It's for charity. But where you remove it, curious to hear what other people think about it. Um, should we bring on a special guest at this point? Let's do it. Okay. There's I not think... enough of us here. No kidding. Well, I think I hear a certain somebody coming this way. Jay Guisau, welcome to the MinMax Show, sir. Thank you for having me. It's been a while. I feel like we haven't been on a podcast together since... 2019 i'm pretty sure 2019 so. the game former internship 
Yes. Oh, God. Yeah. Let's see, I'm trying to remember. I, I remember distinctly bringing it up on the last podcast you're on at the Game Informer show. But uh, Jay, uh, Kelsey, if, uh, Chelsea, uh, Kelsey, Jay, Jay, Kelsey. Um, Jay's the sweetest intern ever. Way better than anybody else, <laughs> than Jacob Geller or anybody else. Um, because every day, every day, instead of just saying goodbye at the end of the day, he'd say, hey, get home safe, man. Get home safe. <laughs> and like that extra detail... It's Good. that's all you need. That's a nice, sweet hook for an intern to be like, this guy truly cares about my well-being. And did you get home safe? Every time, but only because of Jay. He guided me. Um, okay, you've had a hell of a journey since 2019, man, because you then were hired on. Well, you wrapped up school, right? Game design stuff? Yes. Yeah, I went to I went to NYU. I went to the NYU Game Center. Um, and I think you were about to dive into a little bit, but I was able to go to school and work at Game Informer yeah. at the same time. Um which was super hard, right? <laughs> because I was in school like full time. But um, but it was a lot of fun. It was like really fun to be able to make games and then also write about games at the same time. And and those two things sort of bled into one another and helped in both aspects. So yeah, yeah. And then you parlayed that role at Game Informer and that design stuff to then your first job in the industry in a real way was Bungie, yes. right? Yes, exactly. Yeah, I was there for a year and some change. Um, and I was a associate franchise editor um so yeah that was it was it was really fun um worked with some amazing people but yeah and then uh you were caught in the big bungee layoffs from last week fortunately yeah yeah which was like a hundred people or so is what the reporting was saying Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Jeez, how much do you all talk to each other after the fact is it just a big slack channel text exchanges of everyone just kind of (laughs) rallying together like what is it like to be in that uh that group of bungee elites now um it, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, we, we talk on Twitter still. Um, I'm pretty sure there are some discords in place and a lot of people talking on LinkedIn, of course. Like, that's where everyone goes, you know, to, to look for other opportunities and everything. Um, and a lot of other people that I worked super closely with and I got very close with, I, I text them personally. So, I mean, there is, like, this really uh, large support system for everybody, Um but yeah, I mean, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to lie. It's, it's been, it's been tough. You know, I mean, it was hard. It's hard enough getting to Bungie, right? Yeah. So, um, so hopefully there are other opportunities out there for me. I'm sort of branching more into like writing narrative design stuff, which has kind of always been the dream. And at Bungie as an editor, I was super duper close with the narrative team and I, I worked very closely on, on the stuff that they worked on. I kind of had my hand sort of in almost every piece of written text that was in the game. Um, and so, um, yeah, so I'm hoping that the skills that I picked up there, all the writing that I did at Game Informer, all the writing and design I did at NYU, hopefully all that can come together and it'll look really good uh, in an application to a writing or narrative design job, hopefully. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. I got to say, the title franchise editor, it feels <laughs> huge. Like when I saw you get that job for the first yeah. time, I was like, wait, is he like running the franchise of destiny <laughs> imagine what the hell it, it's an ambitious title so what does that actually mean when you're at bungie sure sure so at bungie um i mean I, i'm still doing like the same like type of copy editing content editing work that i was doing at game informer um but at bungie it's it's a huge support role i think mainly across all disciplines really i i mean i like primarily worked with narrative designers, you know, and and that would include favor te- like flavor text you might see on like a weapon or equipment. Um, that would include like long form lore, like short stories that people like love reading and, and putting videos out about. It included voiceover content, like cinematics and stuff like that. Um, 
and even just on a on a smaller scale, like objective strings, you know, uh, defeat yeah. five enemies, stuff like that. Um, and then every now and then I got to flex a little bit of uh, uh, of my writing skills, like helping uh, the other narrative designers figure out, you know, where they want a certain piece to go or, or kind of vibe or tone they want to give a certain character. Um, but when I say all the, all disciplines, I was, like I said, I was working with narrative design. I worked with audio. I worked with localization pretty closely. Um, I worked with general game designers. So it was really cool. I got to work with a lot of teams. Yeah. And also I have to imagine that sets you up pretty well. If you dabbled in so many things (laughs) of like, you can, you can spin a lot of angles for a potential interview right. in the job industry, you know, or in the game industry. Exactly, exactly. That's the plan. That's what I'm trying to do. Yeah. Uh, okay, without revealing any secrets of Bungie internally and all that fun stuff, like, how how eye-opening was it to move into Bungie? Uh, you have a rough yeah. idea, you're a fan of Destiny, then you get to see how a sliver, at least, of the sausage is made. I mean, was it mind-blowing, or was it like, oh, this is about what I imagined for big game development? It was pretty. It was pretty mind blowing, especially because the games that I had originally worked on were really small indie projects at school, right? Yeah. And so, three person teams, and you know, we felt like uh, we were doing major things, and I, I feel like we were. I think we were having a lot of fun making really experimental games, but then to sort of move to a triple A game, a triple A company, um, and probably one of the like most premier like MMO FPSs out there, yeah, it was wild. I was kind of felt like I needed to pinch myself every day. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I I don't know if I can get into super specifics or, or like crazy detail about any yeah. um, about some stuff, but yeah, it was just um, it was really nice to sort of see how the design process works on a huge team rather than you know like um, being on a small team at school because at school, right? You you have to fill in more gaps, right? So maybe you're a narrative designer on a project, but maybe you have to be a producer a little bit. Maybe you have to step in as a co-director, even try programming a little bit, you know. But um, it's really cool to sort of have your own discipline um, at a larger company and seeing how that fits um, into into uh, 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 the design process with with other teams. So, yeah, yeah. Well, not to uh, get too uh saddened hour, I guess, but how are you doing now? Um, you mentioned it was rough, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, are you just sitting back and thinking about what you want to do for the rest of your life at this point? Um, yeah, I mean, that's kind of what it's been a little bit. I mean, I've been, I've been pretty productive. I feel like I bounced back as far as productivity, uh, pretty quickly. Um, I got, I was laid off last Monday and then Tuesday, Wednesday, I started applying like instantly it was it was very much like the first the monday night i was kind of just like you know what should i what should i do should i take this time um for a little bit and just try to relax or should i just start looking for a new opportunity and it kind of felt like if i relaxed too much i feel like um and and to be real to be honest about it like it feels like it feel like um it would it would have felt um i would have fallen into maybe more of a depression um, and I mean, that, that has like hit here and there, it's very like up and down, but I think being productive and, and talking to a lot of people and trying to make new connections and applying and rewriting stuff, it's, it's kind of kept me, um, you know, like out of a, a like a low or, or, or like a lower, I guess, mindset or a more dour mindset, I guess. Um, yeah. and, and so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's been tough. Um, but this is nice. It's nice to be here and, and talk to y'all. It was really, it was really cool when you reached out to me. Um, it's, it's, I think socializing and, and trying to stay active with other people has been sort of kept me, um, above, um, above those kind of negative thoughts. I think, yeah. So. Yeah. Well, thanks for being here. Um, we need your help to, to unpack the year 
that is all of 2023. You, you need to be an expert on every game released <laughs> this year. Uh, no, uh, Patrick Patrick Hughes wrote in uh, from the community. And they say, "Ahoy, good folks, I'm in Max. Hello. There's been recent discussion among the gaming community that 2023 may be one of the most loaded, if not greatest, years of gaming of all time. My question to you then is: Is this the greatest year of gaming? And if not, what year holds that title still? Kelsey, a lot of pressure on you as the historian to relay every year. <laughs> no, that's not fair. I've got a, I've got a decent uh, idea of where games fall, but I don't know. I like, especially since we have Jay here on the show, and I'm glad you brought him in for this discussion. Like, I don't think you can have a discussion about 2023 without talking about the fact that the entire industry is just laying people off left and right, right, just massacring jobs. And, um, you know, you've some, uh, like really, really big, like, em- like embracer doing all these moves to like Oof. buy every studio and then lay everyone off. And like, just these huge sweeping, uh, yeah, like ruinous things to the game industry that, you know, while we're going to talk about what games are awesome and everything, like I, I don't think you can start this discussion in any way other than acknowledging that. And, you know, I, I tried to go back and do some research on some of the other like really good years. And, uh, you know, the capitalism is not a new concept or whatever. Like there's there's been bad things to happen to the industry throughout all of history. But like this is not the kind of cycle you were seeing in other greatest years like 1998 or whatever. Right. Like you are not seeing like all of the greatest games coming out this year. And also 30% of you are losing your jobs. Like, yep. It's, we are in a very strange anomaly of a year where it's just, it's super stark. The difference of like some of the most incredible games in a really long time. And also that is not translated into any stability or any like health of the industry whatsoever. And in fact has gone the opposite direction. Yeah, it's just, it's a perfect storm of, you know, the games getting better and better um, as a result, I think, people getting used to the hardware where we're at and the overall tech cycle. It's like, all right, people understand how to make stuff for these consoles now, for these systems. Here we go, getting on our feet. And then at the same time, it seemed like with the pandemic, gaming exploded in a bigger way, in a positive direction, and everyone was doing so much more of it that I think all these companies were like, these profits are forever. Look at this line going up. Let's keep hiring more and more and more and more. And now 2023 is the year where everyone realizes like, uh, we hired too many. Let's just be brutal and close this off. And then also, Jeff, help me out. For some reason, smart people, when it comes to businesses, were like, oh, the last several years were so great for acquiring people. Something interest rates. I don't know what the hell it was. For some reason, the market was very favorable for making all these acquisitions. And now it's the chicken coming home to roost again on that front of realizing like, you know, just buying a bunch of IP and a bunch of studios for the sake of buying it. Uh, if a big investment like an embracers case from Saudi Arabia doesn't come through, then it just results in all these studios closing down. Looks like the studio making the new time splitters game. That's kaput uh, as of this week. Um, yeah, what do you, what do you make of this Jeff? What's, what's the lay of the land? Yeah. I mean, it's almost, like you you can point to the the pandemic and and say things like okay maybe people are overstaffed or whatever honestly to me it's just all corporate greed yeah. and they've they figured out new ways to maximize their profits and they're going to keep doing if if the pandemic was you know taught anything it's like 
yeah, sure, sales went up. And so now we have this new high bar that we want to hit every year going forward forever and ever. And and more than more than a lot of industries, it seems like publishers have always looked at cutting employees as a way to kind of recoup whatever whatever or not even recoup losses, just maximize right. profits. Right, by, right. It's, it's by, just like whether they've hit whatever, you know, they, they set the new target. Like you said, there's the new bar. And then if they can't hit that bar, there's no just readjust expectations. So the bar is mm-hmm. still higher, but not as higher next time. As, yeah. And instead look, they just look, get guys, we still made a lot of money, just not as much as the highest one. And that's not good enough. You have to just and cut it's never the, leadership cut that wants to take the brunt yeah. of any of that. I, don't, well, I know this is probably all old news to people. No, I think it's interesting. Uh, I mean, we haven't really I don't think talked about. But yeah, Game Industry Biz has an article. This is from October. And there's still many more layoffs after this. But in October 2023, uh, there were 6100 uh, jobs in the game industry that were cut. Um, just and that has got to be quite a bit higher at this point now in the year. So it's definitely worth talking about. I mean, it's definitely an interesting asterisk on top of an incredible year of 2023. And, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, you got to remember, got to remember when we're talking about how great 2023 is that has this asterisk three years from now, you can try to remember. I encourage you to remember. I don't think people will, you know, if there was 6,000 layoffs back in 1998, I think we'd all look back and just be like, oh, that's the year Ocarina of Time came out. That's great. You know, I don't think, I think it's a tough thing to remember how brutal this year was. I think it'll fade quickly, sadly. I mean, I I think we will continue to remember only because it will continue to get worse. I guess that's probably it. Unless unless there's a seismic shift in how publishers view their employees and how developers support their employees, or if there's more unionization efforts then it it's going to be the, this is going to be the story every year it's once once they once they figured out a new way to make a higher profit it's not like next year they're going to be like okay cool we're not going to fire anyone this year you know we're just going to ride it out or whatever like right. it it's going to continue this cycle is going to continue but hey, Jay, on a lighter note, um, <laughs> 2023, pretty good games, right? Am I wrong or am I right? But Baldur's Gate, am I right? <laughs> yeah, but Baldur's Gate. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, so uh, there's an article just for a frame of reference here. Um, God, was it? I think it was Axios that measured it, that in this year, it's the highest number of games that have cracked uh, 90 on Metacritic. Over 25 games have gotten higher than 90 on Metacritic this year, which is the highest ever. So if you want the breakdown here, it's uh, Tears of the Kingdom, Baldur's Gate 3, Resident Evil 4 Remake, Mario Wonder, Cocoon, sitting at 92 on Metacritic, by the way. That surprised me. Um, Dead Cells Return to Castlevania is at 92. Street Fighter 6, Kelsey, are you sitting down? Xenoblade Chronicles 3 Future Redeemed sitting at a 92. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously. <Yeah. laughs> uh, Resident Evil 4 Separate Ways. That DLC, that's interesting. Turbo Overkill, which is a game I had to double check. It went 1.0 on Steam. I was not familiar with Turbo Overkill. That's at 91. Uh, sea of Stars, Diablo 4, Jack Jean, also not familiar with that. Dave the Diver. Oh, Kelsey. That's an Atome game. Wait, really? That's crazy. It's beloved. Uh, Marvel Spider-Man right. 2, Cyberpunk 2077, Phantom Liberty. And then, Kelsey, are you sitting down or are you standing up? 
I continue to sit. Okay, I'm well, gonna keep sitting. You're, Unless you, you want me, do you want me to stand? No, no, no. I want you to be sitting, but then to launch yourself through the ceiling <laughs> as you frog jump because you're so excited about it. And then the last game on that list is the making of Karateka is also at ninety on Redick. Oh my god, she's doing it! Uh, so an unbelievable amount of great games. I think it's a lot of nostalgia on my end. Um, for my first instinct to this question of is 2023 the greatest year ever for gaming? It's like, nah, come on. It's a great year, but let's not be ridiculous. And then you look at this list and it's like, well, they might have a point. I, I, I don't think it's number one, though, in my mind. I think it's the best year since 2007. I'd say that much. What 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 is really interesting to me about this year is, um, I mean, yes, we there are some like remakes and stuff on this list and everything, but um, this is a a year that has like a fairly high amount of games that are, are that feel pretty new. I mean, I know hmm. like Baldur's Gate three has a three on the end of it, but like it, it's <laughs> we haven't seen one in a long time, and it is pretty different, right? Like it's yeah. not it's not just a. Um, you know, like the sequel, whereas like some of the uh, some of the really incredible years, like I'm not trying to discount them at all. But, um, you know, even even like 2007, like a lot of the really good games on that list are just, you know, like the best Halo yet, like the yep. best yep. Call of Duty yet. You know, it, it's not necessarily like a a brand new concept um and i you know there's a surprisingly high amount of just like indie slash smaller games on this critically acclaimed list from this year and i think that's cool i do agree although not to crap on your point kelsey but let me um just drag it through the mud i'm looking at 2007 it's bioshock mario galaxy portal mass effect rock band uncharted assassin's creed crackdown it's a pretty good year for new ip might not be the <laughs> it's not the best example best example <laughs> but like 2004 is often considered one of the best ones and that's right. like you know halo 2 metal gear solid 3 gta san andreas star wars knights of the old republic 2 like it's yes you know yep yep, yep. And, and not that doesn't take away from any of these i mean even um is gta 3 99 or gta 3 is 2001 which or oh 2000 yes sorry that's what i meant 2001 which also has like that is a three but also that's very different than grand theft auto one and right. two is the, the point i'm making there so yeah it, i don't know like i think this is a surprise like, for how how late we are in the history of the game industry now like it's just a surprising amount of fresh concepts this year which yeah. um which makes me happy i don't know yeah and, and somebody actually wrote in um Ricky Maru wrote in just about the number, the amount of new IP this year. And some of them hit better than others. But, you know, Hi-Fi Rush, Wild Hearts, Forspoken, Wo Long, Fallen Dynasty, Atomic Heart, Exoprimal, Immortals of Avium, Jusant. Like there is, there is certainly a good batch this year, definitely. Um, it, and, and even when, when you look at like this year's Mario and this year's yeah. Zelda, like they are apart from from the franchises and trying like some very different very weird things for those and very creative things yeah. for those you know storied franchises that it is i i do i do agree with kelsey to some extent where when you i am looking through a list and a lot of the years it's like well this is the year halo 2 came out so halo 2 and it's like i loved halo 2 back then like i don't know even even like I'll say the controversial thing, but like Starfield is such a different, interesting game. It may not have cracked, you know, the Metacritic and I'm and people have plenty of 
gripes about it. It's an interesting, different experience than than a lot of other games out there, even though, you know, there are yeah. certainly similarities with Bethesda and stuff. But, like, that's what gets me interest, interested and so excited about this year is that, like, it's a lot of different, very varied experiences from from even the big franchises and the big publishers yeah. um, that, that we expect games from. So you think 2023 is number one, Jeff? Where are you at? I don't know. It's, it's, it's so hard to say because it's, it's the battle of like, we're still in the, in this year and I'm still halfway through so many of these games <laughs> and I'm, and I'm weighing that against nostalgia for the older years where it's like, Oh yeah. You know, nothing will ever beat, you know, what the original Spider-Man two, that's, that's such an amazing game. Right. And it's, it's like, yeah, there's no, there's no, there's no, you know, alternate universe where I wouldn't want to play the new Spider-Man two over the old Spider-Man two. So like, right. You know, you know, what's, what's like the over under there on, on which one's better, but it is well, a- th- yeah, that's, that's what makes ranking years really difficult is, uh, you know, are we, it's basically impossible to rank them as like a snapshot of their time. Like, okay, I'm just going to put myself back in 2001. Mm-hmm. And then all of those games are, you know, the greatest thing I've ever seen in my life. And now I'm like, well, I appreciate a lot of like, they may even still be awesome, but now they are like this product of their time as opposed to a brand new experience coming out. And like, we've learned mm-hmm. a lot of stuff since then. And, and forgotten a lot of stuff too, but you know, like it's it's really difficult to just be like, well, you know, Ocarina of Time was the best thing I had ever seen in '98, so therefore that's the best year. Yeah, I think you, you know you kind of have to gauge it. I mean, if you said, hey, you can play any of the games from any year, I'd be most excited to jump into all of 2023's games, obviously. But I think you have to look at it for like time of the place, and like at the end of the year. In the year that these happened, you look back and just be like, how big was your wow looking at the year that just went by? And like, for me, I know this is really up my alley because, you know, I was, what, 14 in 2001, but I just don't think you can beat 2001. It had GTA 3, Metal Gear Solid 2, Eco, like those three alone. Come on, please. And then Silent Hill 2, Smash Melee, Halo 1, Tony Hawk 3, Final Fantasy X, SSX Tricky, Advanced Wars, Golden Sun, Twisted Metal Black, Luigi's Mansion, Pikmin, Oracle of Ages and Seasons, Devil May Cry, Max Payne, Red Faction. Like 2001 is the the greatest of all time in my mind. Uh, but and Jay, if you're in oh. Japan, Animal Crossing. Oh, there we go. Of course, the first one. Jay, where are you at? What's the greatest year ever? Um, gosh, you know it's weird because my greatest year ever. I don't. I mean, I don't even know if it would crack a a top 10 list. I just remember it being a shift in the way I thought about games. And for me, it was 2013, I think. Ooh. And I've got to hope that you're right. But I think that was the last of us, the Tomb Raider reboot and yep. Bioshock infinite, right? Yep. Totally. Um, GTA. And I'm sure there were other games. Mm-hmm. I apologize if I've left them out, but I remember those three specific games I played a lot. Um, and I think for me, um, that was probably the year where like, I, I'd always been into writing, like, you know, and at the time I was like, oh, I'll just like be an author, whatever that meant, you know, for me as a teenager or something. But I just remember playing those games and being like, you know, people wrote these games and maybe that's something I could do. Um, maybe. And so, yeah, I mean, obviously there are, are other narratives uh, in games before those years. So, but I just remember being like, just 
really acutely aware of those narratives in those games. Um, yeah. And, and yeah, so that was definitely, I think, a definitive moment uh, for me. Yeah, you, thank you for bringing that up. I've heard other people talk about 2013 as kind of this Hall of Famer, and I, I do feel like, in my mind, it's not in that short list, but it really should be. I mean, yeah, GTA V also released 2013. I mean, it is a really impactful year for a lot of people, mm-hmm. for sure. Uh, 2017 also gets a lot of mentions. That's Breath of the Wild, yeah. Mario Odyssey, Horizon Zero Dawn, Nier Automata, PUBG, yes. Night in the Woods, Wolfenstein 2, Cuphead, Resident Evil 7, Edith Finch, Destiny 2. Are you familiar with that one, Jay? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Maybe. Okay. Uncharted Lost Legacy, Sonic <laughs> Mania. I mean, 2017 is is great as well. I yeah, I think I think 2023 is from my mind better than 2017. All in all, mm. I think. But again, it's a tough thing. Tough thing to gauge. It is tough. <laughs> Not that anyone's prepared to answer this question, but what do you think the best like three or four year span of video games is? Oof. Mm. Let's go. That might be just that kind of like 98 to 2000. Yep rough thing right yep if you go 98 2001 i think that's really that's really tough to beat but again that's very sweet spot for my nostalgia (laughs) yeah but yeah 98 it's starcraft ocarina of time metal gear solid grim fandango half-life crash bandicoot warped of course banjo kazooie xenogears baldur's gate 1 spyro the dragon resident evil 2 pokemon yellow you know if you want to count pokemon yellow it's an odd one but you know you throw it in there um but that's also (laughs) an unbelievable one but yeah i'm curious to see i think I think when we start talking about the two tens and making our list of the best games for 2023, I think it it's going to be scary how quickly stuff piles up. I think things that mm-hmm. we are in our minds are 100% locks. Once nine of us jump in that call and start going through these things, like we're lucky if we can get two on the list and then we're going to have to call it quit because there's so much good stuff. It's going to be brutal. And there's going to be just, games in my top like six that don't even crack the two tens i'm yeah. pretty sure yep, and i think here. that's going to be true for a lot of us yeah and and just when i think of of how many of these games could have been a game of the year on lesser years yeah. this year is yeah. is kind of scaring me at this point as well i mean honestly since starting minmax you know and focusing more on the game of the year debates and making them public and stuff i feel like 2020 i loved uh I feel like every other year has not blown me away in a big way. Like 2019, it's like, all right, Resident Evil 2 Remake was our game of the year. And it's an awesome game, but I wasn't over the moon about it, you know? Uh, And then 2021, 2022, it's like, yeah, there's great stuff in there, no doubt. But 2020, I think, was the only year in the run of Min-Max where I was like, oh, Jesus. Final Fantasy VII Remake, Yakuza Like a Dragon, Last of Us Part Two, like just that trifecta. I was like, okay, that's that's a Hall of Fame year in my mind. Um, Oh, Hades was also 2020. Jeez. Um, but hey, stay tuned. We'll let you know what's great this year with the two tens coming up in December when we debate uh, the greatest games of all time on the fun stuff. Um, and a game that <laughs> I'm already I'm already imagining Jenna Garcia yelling at me for bringing this up uh, as a possibility for the list <laughs> is um, just to follow up on the last couple of weeks. I've been playing a lot of Piano Vision now. Which is Jay? Are you familiar with Piano Vision? Can I blow I'm your not, mind about I'm this? Not. Yeah, oh, please, man. please. Are you sitting down, Jay? I am sitting down. <laughs> okay, <yeah. laughs> all right. You're familiar with VR, right? We got the MetaQuest Three, and it's big right. on like the pass-through cameras. Yada yada yada. Honestly, I was on the Friends per Second podcast a couple weeks ago, and they were describing this game, and it's like that's everything I've ever wanted. This is the most exciting future is now thing I could possibly imagine. I've wanted it for so long. Please give it to me. And the idea is, it's an augmented reality game where you put on the VR headset 
And with the pass-through cameras, then, you sit down in front of a real piano, and then it teaches you how to play the piano by basically having Guitar Hero or Rock Band-style notes descend down and then hit the notes as you're supposed to play them. Um, That's sick. It is sick. I was so excited about it. Um, And thankfully, uh, Facebook sent us a MetaQuest 3, so we didn't have to drop the $500 (laughs) to fulfill this uh, fantasy. But then I did drop the $150 to buy a keyboard just so I could play (laughs) Piano Vision with the headset. Um, And so set it all up and... uh, the best spot in my house was directly in front of like the big window looking onto the sidewalk. So if anyone's walking by the house, they just get to look up and see <laughs> the dorkiest thing they could possibly imagine, which is just me with the VR headset trying to play Mary had a little lamb over and over again. Um, but the good news is uh, the future is now it's freaking sweet. You know, like you don't have too many of those moments in your life of just like, Oh my God, if younger me could see this right now, like an augmented reality, rock band style interface coming down onto a real piano like it is so cool and especially um when you just find yourself doing things it's like basically i think the fantasy of this is you want to feel like you're cheating the system you know like i learned how to play piano a little bit when i was in college but that was a long time ago now and i've forgotten absolutely everything and so it's like i just want the matrix level shortcut of downloading how to play a piano in my brain. And I'm like, I'm so good at rhythm games. I feel like I can do it. If it just had a different interface for teaching me how to do it. And so it is a funky feeling to play this game and I can just boot up in piano vision uh, for Elise, you know, that and I'm playing it. And I do have that moment of like, I never thought I would play this song physically in my life. And the fact that my fingers are actually doing it, it definitely gets to the point of even though it stops and waits for you to hit the note before each one, that song eventually does get to the point of like, even at that level, I still can't complete the song because there's so many little things to press. It would take me all day. Um, but it is it is super cool. It's still like a little bit jittery. You know, the pass-through cameras aren't very high quality or anything. Um, but... I didn't even think about the fact that I got the keyboard, got it all set up, put on the VR headset, sat in front of my big picture window like a Dorco to play it. Um, and then it said, hey, you should plug the headset into the keyboard. I was like, what, what is this? And you can play without it, but it's like, of course, the headset and the game needs to know what the keyboard's doing so it can tell you like the percentage completion that you got for each song. And then also so it can pause until you hit the right note. And so then I had to go out and buy like another cable, like a MIDI to USB-C to plug in even further for higher levels of, of dorkitude. But then once you get that cable rolling, like it is cool. You know, they have like a bunch of, you know, public domain music in there, but they have stuff like House of the Rising Sun, because apparently that's an old American song. I had no idea it was like an old American folk tune or whatever. So you can play that on the keyboard and stuff. And it definitely has that feeling of, you know, like when you're playing a guitar hero and you kind of lose track of where your fingers are, like, oh, am I in the down notes or the higher notes? Where am I on the fret, yada, yada? It definitely has a lot of that feeling because the thing about pianos is there's a lot of keys. And so it's very tough to know where are my hands right now compared to everything else. But it's really cool because like as the notes are coming down, you can watch it that way. But then also on the piano itself, it like slowly increases the color on the note itself as it's getting warmer. So you can really just look right down and then you can see as it's heating up on your keyboard, like which note you're hitting next. 
sorry i'm rambling but like this was my dream it's like i wanted to do this uh to talk about and on that's the show. why 2023 is the best <laughs> year of video games <laughs> kelsey piano vision is this a game is this something for the 210s we can talk about Ooh, so yeah it, it stretches the definition of game mm-hmm. um in the running for best thing though i mean it's pretty cool <laughs> that's exactly where i have it right now is i have it on the list for best thing because it's like a really cool idea even if the game itself is just piano tutorials i suppose but i mm-hmm. i i'm looking at the deep end where i'm in the piano vision discord and everyone's like sharing midi files because you can like upload your own music to it and stuff and so that's my next step because i was looking at it and they have like tutorials on how to do it and it's like here's how you can upload to xanarkin from final fantasy 10 into piano vision i was like oh now we're talking this is gonna be sweet um and the weird thing too is they have um you can slow down the songs they have like tweaks and stuff you can do there and you can loop them and, and whatnot um but then they also have like public performance rooms so i just jumped into one of these lobbies and then like in vr you're in like a big orchestra hall and there was just a guy on a piano like next to me looking at me and waving and like it's really bizarre to be learning piano and to have that (laughs) level of performance anxiety of like now i'm just sitting next to a stranger who's like go ahead play the song and i just bang wildly on the keyboard in vr and not having any idea what i'm doing but it's a very dorky time but um it's the type of thing that i could not possibly in good faith recommend to people considering it cost them about 700 dollars to play this you know including the keyboard if you don't own one and the meta quest 3 but if you have those ingredients it's definitely one of the most unique things i've done this year but uh, that's it for Piano Vision, everybody. Uh, and who was it in Backstage Pass? Uh, yeah, Lorch here said that I should do it for a new show plus. I think that's an option. We could put it in the poll. It's going to be the worst piano recital you've ever seen in your life. But um, I can show you my mad skills. No one plays Camptown Races on piano like this guy in VR. It's freaking <laughs> sweet. Uh, all right. Hey, Jeff, do you know how this whole thing operates? On the love piano music that's right that's right and performing it piano focus patreon everybody patreon.com slash piano vision check it out find the tier that's right for you no it's a min max everybody please keep independent games media sustainable by finding a tier that is sustainable for you it is all we ask jump in at that two dollar tier five dollar tier i had a couple people recently support us at the two dollar tier and then i message every new supporter and talk with them about hey how'd you find us what kind of stuff do you want in the future it's a nice little get to know you session over there in the patreon messages which by the way if you supported us please check your patreon messages because there might be a free game code waiting for you or at least a message from me awaiting your response anyway, but a couple people recently were like i'm so sorry i'm just at the two dollar tier it's like, you you just gave strangers two dollars a month for their dream project like uh, uh, thank you still please and if it's sustainable we love it for you uh, but thank you as well to some of our bigger supporters. I'm talking about folks like Rocket Money. Jeffum, where do you start with a thing like Rocket Money? Who knows? Let me it's tell not you. A mortgage. It's certain the first it's thing you gotta know about one. Rocket Money is that it's not a mortgage. This is Rocket Money, everybody. Uh, their aim is to help you out because you know how subscriptions keep piling up? Like Disney Plus. You got Sony with uh uh, their service on PlayStation costing an arm and a leg. They're up in those prices. Everybody's up in the prices. And Jeff, and before you know it, you're paying more than you could possibly imagine for all these different subscriptions. That's right. Which is where Rocket honestly, Money comes I in. Honestly, I want to I cancel everything. I'm to the point Ooh. where it's like, F the system. 
I'm done with this corporate welfare. Corporate <laughs> welfare. Oh, there we go. Of paying everybody. Get him a soapbox. Uni universal basic income for corporations <laughs> oh, every Christ, month. Oh, Christ. Here we go. Cancel it all. Uh -huh. How do I do it, though? There's so many is the problem. Well, that's why you need rocket money, everybody. And yes, we're aware that it's silly to ask people to support us on Patreon and then say, hey, please cancel all other subscriptions. <laughs> we're no, aware. No, no, Patreon's different. Patreon's, Patreon's different. different. <laughs> Anyways, uh, hey, Jay, how much do you think you pay for a month on subscriptions if you had to guess? Oh, my goodness. Um, a month on subscriptions? Probably over a hundred. Right? With all the... Yeah, try, try this though. Try this. Uh, they say that you're probably paying closer to 200. I don't know why they know that, but they say you're probably paying closer to 200. So there you <laughs> I go. I believe them. There you go. <laughs> there we go. Uh, so Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps you lower your bills all in one place. With Rocket Money, you can easily cancel the ones you don't want just with the press of a button. No more long hold times or annoying emails with customer service. Rocket Money does all the hard work for you. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions and manage your money the easy way by going to rocketmoney.com slash minmax that's rocketmoney.com slash minmax rocketmoney.com slash minmax everybody uh kelsey i see and appreciate the two birds on your shoulders um do they like food they sure do well they remind me of me because HelloFresh is here to deliver you food on your doorstep, everybody. With HelloFresh, you get farm fresh pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. You can skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. Jeff, when it comes to cooking, do you prefer easy, fun, or affordable? You only get to choose one. Only one? Yeah. Um what was the what was the middle? Easy, one? fun, or affordable. If you had to choose. Oh, I'm going to say fun. Well, that's the good sign, Jeff. And the good news for you is that with HelloFresh, you don't have to choose. It's easy, fun, and affordable with HelloFresh. Yes. That's why it's America's oh, yeah. number one meal kit. Um, do you like cooking, Jay? I love cooking. I've actually used HelloFresh. Yes, we got them. Hell yeah. We, we got them. You, you found one. That's it's the thing. Me, yep. No, it is It is the best. It truly is great. I'm happy whenever they're in the docket for doing ads because I really do enjoy them. You know, I had some family over recently and just had a big batch of HelloFresh ready to go. And it's like, oh, this is, this is going to be a piece of cake. No mess, no stress. They want you to know, they say, hosting this holiday, HelloFresh Market has just what you need to please a crowd without the hassle from photo-worthy shark shark charcuterie 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 it's cheeses mostly right? i know but you can't <laughs> no human meats. being can say that word meats and cheeses anyways meats and cheeses from Sometimes some spreads from charmeleon boards to mouth-watering desserts they have it all at hellofresh market everybody this holiday season can be hectic that's where hellofresh's 15 minute meals come in these quick fixes help you get a wholesome meal on the table in less time than it takes to get a delivery Go to HelloFresh.com slash MinMaxFree and use code MinMaxFree. This must be a typo. Use code MinMaxFree for free breakfast for life. <laughs> Hang on. What? <laughs> One breakfast item huh? per box while subscription is active. That's free mm. breakfast for life while your subscription is active at HelloFresh.com slash MinMaxFree. Use the code MinMaxFree. I've always wanted something free for life free breakfast for life use that promo code it's in the description below everybody 
Uh, also, thank you to a new supporter, Uncommon Goods. Uh, they say, if you want to hear, where'd you get that this holiday season? Which, Jeff, you know what that sounds like. Absolutely. It sounds like you saying... It's the- usually disgust when they're saying it to me, <laughs> but... <laughs> Uh, Uncommon Goods is your secret weapon. Uncommon Goods is here to make your holiday shopping stress-free by scouring the globe for the most remarkable and truly unique gifts for everyone on your list. Whether you're shopping for your secret Santa or your entire family, Uncommon Goods knows exactly what they want. Uh, Uncommon Goods, it's like, they recommend, hey, check out their site. We recommend everybody check out their site. I was like, all right, uncommongoods.com. Let's see what they got. I went to like their best-selling items. It's like, yeah, these are really good. That's really cute. There's like a little coffee tray with a book holder where you can put your book on there. Jeff, they have a, uh, it's a really cool idea where it is a book that it's, it's the New York Times edition from the day you were born. Isn't that a oh, good nice. Christmas present? I just, good. so I have used this. I had to double check. I've used this for Christmas presents. I'm in my partner's office right now and I got this for him from Uncommon Goods. Really? A history of space yeah. exploration. That's sweet. All right. Yeah. It's it's paying for itself here. Um, also, they have uh, on their site, that does look great. Um, they have a, a storybook do-it-yourself kit. And I literally also just bought one of these before they were uh, a supporter. But it's a cool idea where it's like on a bookshelf, you can have a little, um, it's like a, you know, it's a little craft thing that you build to look like a train station or something. Mm. Um, But it's like an inserted, what's the word I'm looking for? Inverted thing. So it's basically a little arts and craft thing that you put on a bookshelf. So you have a bookshelf, then it's like this insert that's just a cool craft thing that you built up. And it's really a cool thing. So when you shop at Uncommon Goods, you're supporting artists and small independent businesses. These fine products are often made in small batches. So shop now before they sell out this holiday season. Uncommon Goods looks for products that are high quality, unique, and often handmade or made in the US. They have the most meaningful, out of the ordinary gifts anywhere. And you can get 15% off your next gift by going to uncommon, uncommongoods.com slash minmax. That's uncommongoods.com slash minmax for 15% off. Don't miss out on this limited time offer. Uncommon Goods, they're out of the ordinary, they want you to know. So use that promo code, everybody. Lastly, but not leastly, huge thank you to I Am 8-Bit. They want everybody to know, not only do they have the wonderful online store, which has a ton of great stuff in there, but also, coming up in December, they have the big event of Day of the Devs. Day of the Devs has been going on since 2012. It's a collaboration between Double Fine, which I'm a pretty big fan of, and I'm 8-Bit, which I'm a pretty big fan of, uh, with the purpose of shining the spotlight on great indie games. Since 2012, the event has showcased over 500 games in both in-person and online events. Um, Great presentation style. They usually focus a lot on developers, the lives of the developers, but then also showing off a ton of gameplay as well with Day of the Devs. Tons of Tim Schafer jokes, if you like that, in between your gameplay demos, Day of the Devs is the place for you. And they have a digital showcase happening on December 6th at 8 a.m. Pacific on twitch.tv slash thegameawards. There's the digital showcase December 6th at 8 a.m. Pacific. It's going to be full of great indie creators along with some top-secret world premieres. Uh, They're going to be showing a bunch of new games from indie developers. And on top of that, a digital event, they have the in-person celebration of Day of the Devs in Los Angeles. So if you are in L.A., you can go to the Day of the Devs event on December 8th. It runs runs from 2 p.m. to 8 p.m. Pacific. The event will be in L.A., and it is free. So go there, say hello to some game developers, play some cool games. You actually get hands-on with a lot of these demos. Please check it out. Uh, There's also a link in the description 
for the RSVP on Eventbrite. If you want to RSVP to the Day of the Devs in person. Jenna Garcia is going this year. That's a plan, at least, for MinMax. So you can say hello to her if she's there. But uh, thank you so much to iMateBit. And check out their wonderful online store because there's so much great stuff, um, including the Chicory Piano Collections Vinyl Soundtrack, which they're giving away to somebody from the MinMax community. Whoever wrote in with the best community question is going to win the Chicory Piano Collections Vinyl Soundtrack. And a reminder... You can go to iMateBit's wonderful online store and you can use the promo code Gobble Till You Wobble. Gobble Till You Wobble for 10% off of everything in the store that's under $100. Kelsey, ready for these freaking questions? Oh, I'm ready. Okay, great. Um, by the way, you're just showing off how cool you are by having now two parrots on your shoulders. <laughs> no, they, so they were screaming a lot and I needed to eventually unmute my mic so I could speak again. So I just... I messaged my partner and was like, can you just, can you just hand me the two birds? So <laughs> they look like they're getting along well. Yeah. This, so this is, this is Tachi. She's the new one and she's obsessed with Mito and Mito's kind of like, yeah, whatever. Okay. And doesn't, doesn't really care. But yeah, so she's a baby. She's a little under a year old. That's so cute. Uh, Ian, Ian Spataj wrote in, they say, howdy, Minmax. Uh, I find it humorous that Ben considers Star Ocean 2 one of his favorite RPGs ever, despite the fact that he never beat the final boss due to taking actions that removed the boss's limiter and made it impossible to beat without a nearly maxed level party. All right, Ian, this is why it isn't helpful to be on the internet because... Wait, is this something I can do on accident? Like, is this, this is some... This is the big thing. Yes, absolutely. So oh, I remember boy. something weird with the end of Star Ocean 2 where I'm like, I don't think I beat it back in the day because there was something about going to a dungeon and grinding until you were at like level 250, which was impossible, but I had to do it for some reason. And so Ian sent this link to a stream that we did back at Game Informer in 2017 where we booted up my old save and then the RPG experts at Game Informer like walk through everything I did wrong. <laughs> and apparently there's something you can do. And I think it involves not using the skill system efficiently or something about party friendship levels where you can remove a limiter on the boss and you make him, yeah, uh, three times as difficult, apparently. So if you're playing Star Ocean 2, I, I don't know how that's going to be handled in the remake, but look into make sure that... You aren't blowing it. Um, and the, this was the skill system Can I have already blown that, it? I don't think so. I think you're fine. I think you're fine. <laughs> but this was the skill system that when <laughs> me and Kelsey were talking about, you were all like, oh, yeah, you don't have to pay that much attention to it. You just put stuff in wherever. And uh, You know what? Let's see. Star Ocean 2, final boss, limiter. It's such a funny idea, but it was just like a perfect situation of, I just went back and I watched that old Star Ocean stream and every one of the questions that I had in 2023, I also asked in 2017, but now I forget <laughs> exactly how it is. There's something you can do. Everybody look into it. Even if you're not playing Star Ocean 2, make sure you look into how to not turn off the limiter for the final boss. The point is, uh, Ian wrote in, they say, in that vein, do any of you have similar stories in which you advertently or inadvertently made a gaming situation more complicated than it needed to be? And how did you feel about it? There are definitely some uh, dungeons, especially in... Um Breath of the Wild, where I was not doing it the correct way. Like, I know right. that those games are kind of built for that, but there were... Th I remember there was one where it was a, like, a large stone ball that you had to kind of get through, like, a, a maze thing down to a, you know, a, went to a hole eventually, and I still don't know what the correct solution was, but I was just doing a terrible combo of, like, 
freeze, hit it once, freeze, hit it once, free. And I just, I was playing like micro mini golf with this thing <laughs> to get it all the way down. And I was like, I know this is wrong, but what <laughs> on earth am I supposed to actually do this? It worked. I mean, the good news is I think, you know, Breath of the Wild and Tears of the Kingdom, that's like number one game series where I feel like if the developers were watching you do that, I think they would just smile and laugh. You know, they'd be delighted that you're just like, you know, brute forcing any solution onto what they've designed for those games. Yeah. Uh, when we when we did the Jack and Daxter super replay, or right. not super replay, uh, Deepest Dive, there was one level that, it was like a swamp level or something, and the whole level loops around, but somehow I saw that there was like, Oh, there's this weird, you know, hole way up on this tree stump or whatever, and I and I like killed myself getting up there, and then and th- and then tricked myself into thinking that was the direction. So I ended up doing the entire level backwards. So none of like the jumps or you know like how the how the poisonous gas you know like lakes were laid out. Like none of it made any sense as I was going through it. And was like. This is an impossible jump. Like, what is wrong with this level? And then it wasn't until I got to the end that I realized that I played the entire thing backwards. And like all of the, you know, like save checkpoints were, were, um, let's see, they were all backwards because you were supposed to like, you're supposed to fight an enemy or whatever, and then it would save or it would save right before it. But I would have to do the, like the, the entire level was just a nightmare um, because because I made it way harder on myself by not knowing basic directions, which is true in real life too. So perfect. I got that going for me. It turns out I'm trying to, <laughs> there's, so, you know, in Starshin 2, everybody knows in Starshin 2, there's like the private action thing where you can like send party members away. It looks like from trying to Google it, there's some party private action you have to do which maybe that was the system that I was confused by, not the skill thing. Skill thing, I totally understand. But the private action, there's some private action you have to do where you have to go into a certain spot and that turns on the limiter for the final boss or something like that. I actually reloaded a save for one of the private actions that I did because I did something that pissed off Celine like so hard. It dropped us like an entire heart in our relationship. And I was like, I was like, I'm just... That feels bad. That seems like the like a very wrong move to have taken. I'm just gonna reload. <laughs> what was it? Were you like nice to Reina or something? Like what would piss Selena no, off like, that much? She was like in her room calling herself fat, and I was like, "You're not fat." And then she was like, "Never speak to me again." <laughs> the door in my face, and yeah. <laughs> oh, what a dream woman. Uh, Jason Wojnar writes in and says, "As a fellow Jason from New York, I want to know what are some of Jason Guisao's favorite New York spots." Sweet. We're talking food, parks, theaters, anything. I personally love the restaurant Streetcha. They only take cash, but it's cheap and delicious. All right, favorite New York general spots. What do you got? Well, we got to be more specific. What part of New York is... Like, I want to know where this is, but that's a... Streetcha. Streetcha. Huh. Never heard of it, honestly. I'll try it. I think it's a Mass Effect race. Um... Yeah, okay, favorite New York spots, Jay. What do you got? Where's the go-to place? I mean, I I would say I'll probably off the top of my head cuz I'm just thinking of pizza, right? Um I would I I think like two really really good pizza spots. Um New Park Pizza um in Queens is really good. They have like uh, it's it's cash, but I but like I feel like it's really traditional because they only accept cash. Yeah. Um and um they have like this really sweet 
pizza sauce and I, I always go there. It's really good. Um, and then the really, really famous pizza spot uh, is Grimaldi's and they have a, a bunch of different locations. But um, for people who've never been to the city, if you're ever in the city, you need to go to the Grimaldi spot in Brooklyn in Dumbo and you get like beautiful views of the Brooklyn Bridge and, and the East River. Um, but it's like, I feel like New York pizza is associated with like Greece, right? And just like massive slices, but Grimaldi's is just classy, man. There's no grease. They don't sell by the slice. They only sell whole pies. And it's been it's been around for 33 years. So it's 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 a really classy classy spot to go to. So yeah. do, you, do you feel extra pressure? Does everyone in New York just be like, I know someone's going to ask me about pizza. I need to at least have one <laughs> thing to reference every time somebody bugs me about. It. Yeah, right. Exactly. I was I was prepared. No. Um. I mean, yeah. I mean, there's there's pizza. There's a. Uh, I feel like a lot of people, oh man, a lot of people like make memes about it, but like the bacon, egg and cheese, um, uh, chopped cheeses, like deli sandwiches. I feel like I always have to have some kind of suggestion for those. The nice thing about bacon, egg and cheeses though, and and, and just deli sandwiches in general is that usually you just go to a bodega and it's going to be good no matter where you go. So go to any any corner and you'll have the best sandwich of your life. (laughs) Except like Times Square, but yeah, Yeah, fair enough. Uh, Tokyo Game Life writes in and they say, hey, 1984's Devil World came to North America for the first time ever last week. Thanks to Nintendo Switch Online. It was the first collaboration between Miyamoto, Tezuka and Koji Kondo. Uh, Since it's a new game for North America, is it eligible for the 210s? Uh, yeah, I suppose it would be. Um, Kelsey, we're gonna have to fight for Devil World. Um, no, it's like Devil World is cool, and it is a it's a historical game, and it's cool, and it's worth firing up. It's not. It's nowhere near the greatest game this year, though. It's like they got better at making games, believe it or not, <laughs> over their career. <laughs> it is. It is a cool idea, though. I love this early, you know, hive mind of talent coming together to make. Basically, a satanic Pac-Man clone is kind of the angle for Devil World. Because I remember learning about it years and years ago and be like, wait, Miyamoto made a game that's like Pac-Man, but it's got like crosses and Satan dancing around in it. This sounds freaking sweet. And so I never thought that they'd actually bring it over here. But like NSO is a perfect spot for it. Yeah. Did they not localize it at all? Like they kept everything in. Yeah. uh, Exactly. And that's I mean, that is kind of awesome. That's, you know, they're. It, it's a like well-known thing that they specifically were like, we can't bring this to the U.S. or like, there's a good reason we're not bringing this to the U.S. So yeah. I don't know to just be like, yeah, never mind. We're we're all past that now. Devils crosses, whatever. No, actually, I don't know. We've if you've got seen. we've got hentai games on the Switch. Who cares? <laughs> there, there were riots in the streets. I don't know if you got a Kelsey of people uh, <laughs> upset that there's a Christian cross in Devil World released on Nintendo Switch. It is kind of cool though, like. Maybe this is frustrating for some people, but I think it makes Nintendo Switch Online feel cooler. Where, like, I went to the latest NES batch, you know, it's like little GIFs or I forget what the animation is for, like, unveiling all the new games on that service. But, like, the entire top row was just in Japanese. Like, they were all completely Japanese releases. And so I was looking for Devil World, but, like, I'm literally squinting at the box art trying to figure out, like, which one is Devil World? All of this art could be Devil World conceivably, but there's something kind of cool about, like, ah, no titles or anything. Like, here's a bunch of Japanese box art. Figure out which one is, like, this, the greatest minds of Nintendo worked on versus which one is from the 80s and completely forgettable, you know? Um, but if you don't know Devil World, maybe you remember from Smash Brothers it's a trophy where it's like the big Satan guy and he like points around like that's, that's Mr. Devil world. Um, Mark Levender writes in and says, Hey, man, Max, 
With the independent games journalism outlet Aftermath just having launched, what are your thoughts about these kinds of outlets in the game space? We've seen success stories in sports journalism with sites like Defector, but with games, the independent outlets seem to be more podcast-slash-content creation-focused, like MinMax and Kind of Funny, than your traditional journalistic outlets. Is it likely we see this shift from even more... We shift... Is it, like, uh, is it likely we see this shift even more as their traditional journalism platforms continue to decline? I'm rooting for him, says Mark. Um, and then Crosby also wrote in saying, hey, I don't know if it's too off topic, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on uh, the escapist slash second wind, which is as a weird week where basically some folks formerly of Kotaku formed a crowdfunded outlet uh, called Aftermath and then the escapist. Uh, people were laid off, and then a bunch of other folks uh, stepped away from Escapist to form a Patreon outlet called Second Wind, um, including Yahtzee, who, you know, that series, Zero Punctuation, it's been going for 16 years. I was watching their stream this morning, it? and it's like, whoa, I mean, I've, I've enjoyed a lot of Zero Punctuation throughout the years, but 16 years, I hadn't done that math, so it's a big changing of the guards That's over there. 16 internet years, too. That's huge! It's like dog years. And the weird thing I about, honestly, or the opposite I'm embarrassed by this, but I didn't even know it was still going. Oh, really? It, it just felt, I mean, it does feel like, at a certain point, there's no possible way that something on the internet can exist for more than, like, I don't know, eight years? Like, right. it just... I just kind of assumed at some point that had wrapped up, but never looked into it. And I was like, oh, wow. No, I'm I'm kind of with you. I mean, it was less than a month ago, one of those zero punctuation things came across my YouTube feed. And I was like, oh, I want to watch this. Then it it populated my feed, of course, with that again. I was like, God, I forgot how much I used to watch these back in the day. Um, But yeah, it's it's weird seeing Yahtzee's face in that stream. I'd never even seen that. But basically the entire Escapist video team went and launched Second Wind. So uh, congrats to them. You can help support them, support any independent games media or Aftermath, which is mainly focusing on, yeah, kind of the blog slash old Kutaku style site. Um, And I listened to their interview on the Games Press podcast, which is really good. You can check it out. It's it's podcast is just called uh, Games Press. Um, But uh, in that, they're talking about that struggle that I think Mark and the question is getting to of just... Does everything have to be personality driven for an independent media outlet to exist at this point? Can you have a focus on the writing that's crowdfunded? Jeff, um, hot take. Where do you think? What do you think the future holds for these outlets? Um, I hope so. I feel like Kotaku is always more personality driven, at least. Um, I guess it's more podcast know, and video driven. I think that's kind of the differentiation, yeah, right? Yeah, that is that is going to be um, the big hurdle for them. I, you know, I saw a news story on it and read their press release and the, like their pitch is, is solid. Like everything that they brought up about, uh, you know, life under working for a massive corporation and layoffs and all of those kind of things. And also they brought up just like how much it sucks to try and read any video game article <laughs> yes. on any modern website yep. with how many ads that, you know, they shove in and how just like that, that quality experience has deteriorated so much over the years that I really, I really hope that they can figure out, you know, a subscription model that, that actually sustains them because that would be, you know, that seems like the only way that it could go at this point. Um, uh, you know, the big, Media corporations are not investing in it, and they clearly don't va- value their talent. So, like, yeah, I would, I would love if the community would support 
would support writers as much as they do, you know, podcasters and video creators like us. Yeah. It is interesting with that defector comparison. Like I'm not a sports cast, not familiar with defector, but it is the interesting comparison of like, why isn't there a more text-based crowdfunded thing that could work in the game space? Like how different is this are the sports geeks from the gaming geeks? Mm -hmm. Kelsey might be the best to try and (laughs) bridge that gap. I don't know. I honestly, so most of my sports uh, intake came from like sports Twitter and sports Reddit. So, I mean, while I've, I've read plenty of articles and stuff, but yeah, I mean, I guess I would say that I like, and this is just personally, I don't know that I have the thumb on like what sports people are doing i don't consume hardly any video content of sports that Hmm. is like personality driven um occasional podcasts but i guess i do prefer to get it in more bite-sized either like uh you know an article format or um i mean again like still still mourning the slow death of sports twitter and that it hasn't quite picked up (laughs) elsewhere yet but um Sports Reddit is still pretty good. <laughs> okay. Pretty active. It, it is. It's a weird conundrum. And I've heard other people talk about it of like, if the only way forward for games journalism is you have to have a personality that's quote unquote likable to receive the crowdfunding. Like how much is that limiting the pool of potential journalism going on out there? It's like, oh, sorry. Mm-hmm. You don't like being on podcasts? Sorry you're not cracking enough jokes and videos, then you're not going to make money uh, from the community. And then at that point, you're not going to be able to do these long form investigations. Like that is, that is a weird limitation that seems to be popping up more and more as we're building out these independent sites. Yeah, that would be such a huge loss to just have, I mean, it's already a like ever shrinking amount of people who can reasonably do that work. And uh, yeah, I, I really hope people We'll start paying for it because the reality is like hard work t- takes three times as much time as, uh, you know, just uh, no releases. offense to us, but like <laughs> sometimes we're just talking about what came out this week and not doing like hard hitting journalism. Right. So. Right. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And, you know, it's fun to see other crowdfunding ecosystems. I'm such a nerd for like, okay, what are their tiers? What is working with their community? There's lessons to learn from everybody. Um, And so, you know, one of the things is like, it's nice. It seems like these are outlets that are getting out of the gate with like a lot of confidence. Like here's the roadmap. Here's what we are planning to do, which is nice. Instead of just the support us, send money here. We'll figure it out later. Like, especially second wind, like they spun up so quickly, like days later and they have a logo ready to go. I mean, it's a wild turnaround. Um, and so it's the combination of, I, I like outlets that are that confident, but then I think all of these also, it seems like it's multiple people, presumably full time. And that kind of freaks me out just knowing, like, from our perspective, we had the option of being flexible and very scalable where it's like, okay, I'll be full time. And then depending on our levels of success, we can bring on more people for more and more time. Um, and, and maybe I'm partial to that model because it's worked out so well for us so far, um, but it is a weird thing of like, I like the confidence of saying like, nope, this is for multiple people full time. We got to go. We need support. But also it, it scares me to my core of thinking about it. Of like, we, it's a lot of people and a lot of money. That seems scary to set that bar that high, but I'm sure everything's flexible. I'm sure they can find part-time options if they need to, but hopefully they won't. Hopefully people will go out and support Aftermath, go check them out and, and second win. So shout out to those folks. Um, and it does kind of feel like, you know, 
you know, I, I saw people in the MinMax Discord today talking about like, you know, what does this mean? There's so many other outlets to follow, like Remap Radio recently doing this. I mean, if you want to go back to Next Lander and Jeff Gersman spinning off from Giant Bomb, you know, there's just so many other outlets out there. And it is, it's fun to see. Hopefully there's, there's room in the, room in the ocean for everybody. The big star ocean that is crowdfunding. Um, but it does, I do have this pressure of like, oh, we got to make sure we're really worth it. We got to make sure we're up in our game to make sure that we're worth paying for as an outlet, you know, for everything that we're doing here. So it is not a competition, but it is a fun gut check of just like, all right, there's a lot of people around here. We got to make sure we're standing out and and earning the support from the community here. Um, Daniel Duran writes in the legend of Zelda movie was just announced. This can't be, that has to be a typo. That can't be real. Uh, Jeff, it seems like you have no interest in talking about the Legend of Zelda movie. When you saw that was happening, give me your gut reaction. How much did you care? Um, I went, I went and looked up an article on it and saw that there's basically no information on it yet. And I said, okay, I will check back when there's a trailer. Okay. Yeah. Might be a while. Uh, so Daniel Duran says, name the top five characters that need to be in the film outside of Zelda, Link, and Ganondorf, and why all the top five spots go to Tingle. Yeah, it's just going to be Tingle. It's going to be like, Tingle's going to be the new Toad. There's just going to be a bunch of Tingles running around in the film. Uh, yeah, the big thing, they announced, well, <laughs> Miyamoto took to Nintendo's Twitter account and gave one of his patented, hello world, this is Miyamoto speaking right now tweets to say, hey, we are working with Sony Pictures right now on a live action Legend of Zelda movie We've been working on it for years, but it's going to be a while, so stay tuned. By the way, the producer is Avi Arad, who has produced everything under the sun. I mean, the big thing is like the Spider-Man movies, uh, Morbius. Jay, please stop screaming about Morbius. We get it, we get it, we get it. Morbius is cool. (laughs) Um, But then like Spider-Verse movies most recently. But then also all these video game movies of like the Metal Gear Solid movie, the Borderlands movie, like Avi Arad is just... His name is attached to everything all the time. So seeing him as the producer and like the main person that Miyamoto cited was like, eh, that guy, <laughs> he's just, he kind of seems like <laughs> studio run of the mill. Let's get this stuff out the door. Um, but then they also announced that the director is Wes Ball, who comes from like a VFX animation background. And then he directed the Maze Runner movies, which is a complete blind spot to me. Has anyone seen a Maze Runner movie? Okay, but this West Ball director, he's also directing the new Planet of the Apes movies, uh, or just movie, which I'm a big fan of uh, that series, but Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, which the trailer just dropped. He's the director for that, which that trailer looks good. I'm very curious to see what they do for this new generation, Caesar's Children, or whatever the hell Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is about. Um, Kelsey, live action Zelda, gut reaction? Where are you at with this thing? No, I, I'm sorry. I like, this is one of those games that I cannot see how you could translate it into a movie in a way that is interesting at all. Um, the (laughs) Zelda games are good because they, they are fun to play and like they're, that's a, that's a game design game. You know what I mean? Yeah. (laughs) Like, yep. Yep. I'm not saying they have bad stories. I'm not saying, you know, that, like, in fact, a lot of them have good stories, but they're just not, it doesn't scream cinema to me. And I, I don't know, like, I'm sure I will see it 
mostly out of like obligation, <laughs> but I just, I can't, I can't imagine being excited about this. Like no. I, I'm trying to imagine like the perfect world trailer that makes me go, Oh, I, I see the vision. Wow. Okay. Like I can't, I don't know. I'm, no. I'll go in with an open mind and hopefully I'm wrong, but <laughs> it is, uh, yeah, it, yeah. I, I honestly, <laughs> I apparently didn't read the article that I read too closely because this is the first time I'm hearing that it's live action. Ooh, that seems yeah. like total disaster. What are they thinking? Come on. <sighs> well, Who's going to be Link? It's, yeah, I mean, everyone's already like, <laughs> Matt okay. Damon. It's hundred. Everyone on the internet, the, the Matt Damon Matt petition, Damon. everyone's demanding Matt Damon as Link. Obviously, it, there's no other solution. It, like, it can't be anyone other than like a teenager, right? Like Link is almost always a child or a teenager yeah. with very few exceptions. And... I, yeah, I don't know. It's, yeah, they're going to have to find the most famous person who's under 20 at the moment and then try and age them down, and that'll be it. And Timothy Chalamet. Timothy Chalamet. I was, I was literally going to say that. I mean, they're going to yeah, dye his he, hair blonde. He's 45 years old at this point, but yeah, he'll he'll be the go-to. <laughs> and like, brace for impact, everybody. Link is going to talk. There's no way Link ain't talking in this. Like, just, I know hardcore fans are going to be outraged, but just... Brace for impact right now because it absolutely is going to happen. I'm just bummed out because, you know, they seem to be building up in the animated world over at Illumination at Universal. Um, the idea of, oh, there's other galaxies out there and you're going to be building out the Nintendo universe over at in the animation world with Illumination. And now to remove Zelda from that, it just seems like a bummer. Like, you know, we all want, need the Smash Brothers movie. And now it's like, so are they going to cross over and have the Sony Pictures live action Link come over to the Universal animated world? Or would they just have a separate animated version of Link? Maybe like Toon Link will be that version. I could see that happening maybe, but that gets messy. Is this like a Roger Rabbit situation we're setting up for that here? That sounds fun. I would like that, but I just don't think the studios can play nice, even though I guess Sony has... It's been a challenging uh, push and pull with Marvel and Disney, right? I guess for the... Spider-Man rights and which characters are in which universe. But in theory, Sony does, and Avi Arana in particular, does have experience like crossing over studio IP. But who knows? Um, we'll see how it goes. Alex McMillan writes in and says, Hello, Minex. I've been playing a lot of Alan Wake 2 recently, and it's helped me get over a really de de debilitating fear I have of moths. Every time you visit a safe room and switch the light on, the light becomes swarmed by moths, something which initially unnerved me. However, as I've played the game... More, I've become more comfortable seeing them as I'm now linking them with the safety and comfort of not being jump-scared. Has a game ever helped you get over a fear or problem such as this? Tough. Uh, I could probably speak to that a little bit. Please. Um, I, I don't know. It's, it's like a little less... I feel like it's, it's, my answer is a little unconventional only because my fear usually comes uh, specifically when I'm playing competitive games. I really love competitive games, but I get a lot of anxiety about like doing well, even like in regular pub matches, but mainly uh, in ranked matches. Um, and I feel like a shift happened with apex when it first came out. Um, I'm pro gosh, I think apex came out during my internship uh, at game informer, which yeah. is weird. That's a long time ago. Um, but yeah, I feel like, um, like in the beginning, uh, uh, before Apex, I played a lot of Overwatch 1 and, and Rainbow Six Siege, and I really enjoyed those games, but I was always nervous about doing well. And 
and like you know like in the fear like when you enter a ranked match is like am i going to do well or are, are people going to be nice because you know if people are toxic we've lost the match right away right um so yeah apex changed i really got into apex i started practicing literally like every day like i would get out of work or finish school, practice Apex for 30 minutes. Yeah. And then eventually it got to a point where I started playing matches and I wasn't scared. I just had confidence. Even when like I'd be in a ranked match with a player that like, I mean, like I would watch their streams. I know they're really good. I like no fear, you know? Um, yeah. And all this is just, you know, a little, little plug for me to say, yeah, I mean, I got top 500 at one point. You know, hey, look at this. Um, look at this. Hey, no, but, uh, <laughs> but no, it, I, I think like even now I'm super rusty now. I'm horrible, but, uh, but even now when I play like Overwatch 2 or something, I'm not I don't get that same anxiety to right. uh, to perform well, I guess, in in a ranked match or a regular match. So, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know if that counts as overcoming. I think a fear, it does. I think it does. It's something. Yeah. Yeah. Like I used to be really scared. Yeah. When I'd be in like a public concert hall in Piano Vision and playing to a bunch of strangers. But now <laughs> now it's like my second home. Oh, like, yeah. <laughs> uh, Pate Rion wrote in and said, Hey Ben, correction, um, on party chat, your bonus podcast, you said you needed to hook up the quest to your PC via a wire to play Half-Life Alex. You can play through airplay. So you're not tethered to your PC. There's a whole world of VR stuff that I'm still trying to wrap my mind around. So thank you, uh, Pate for writing in. Um, Karina Winter says, hello, Min Max. I had some blood drawn recently and the nurse complimented my blood. <laughs> Have you ever received a weird compliment? Karina, this, I, people have complimented my blood in a weird way. Multiple times though, people and nurses, when they're taking my blood, they'll go like, ooh, such great big veins. This will be easy. Look at these veins. Is that, yeah, did they compliment that everybody? Okay. No, that's, I well, feel like I, that's a I think I do thing. have big veins though. Okay. Hey, look, you have big, cool, muscular veins. That's a tall guy thing, Kelsey? <laughs> Yeah, I feel like no. every tall guy. <laughs> maybe okay. Not, it probably not checking, is not checking out. <laughs> it it not probably has to something to do. I get okay. Every, everyone who's shaped roughly like you, Ben, like everyone who is kind of like a tall, like you know, on the thin side, like you, you all have great veins. It just seems to be. How do you know this? I I know tall dudes, and they've all said the same thing. Every tall guy I know has said that someone has told them they have great veins. That's and so then you weird. can see them. Like, you can see the veins. So. I don't think I've ever paid attention to anybody's veins, but now I feel like I need to start looking at my phone. Well, you don't, you don't draw blood all day, it. though. Okay, okay. It just comes up naturally. Yeah, I rarely draw blood for my friends. But More importantly, Tom wrote in... Um, this is a bit of a tangent, but I think this is interesting, and I like people pointing out stuff that we completely miss because um, the media can't cover everything. Um, Tom says, Hey, Min Maxers, today I remembered that Peter Molyneux was supposed to be making his NFT game with the developer's 22 cans that made the news round a few times in the past couple of years. Do you remember this thing? It was called Legacy. Did you know it released a couple of weeks ago and absolutely nobody talked about it? I looked up the game to figure out what it actually was and could only find a couple of videos on YouTube post-release with a grand total of like a couple thousand views between all of them talking about Peter Molyneux's new NFT game. Even the official release day stream by the publisher was woefully poorly produced and exceedingly dull. Okay. Now you're just being mean to this NFT game, Tom. Um, so this is a game, Tom says, that generated over $40 million in NFT sales before release but it seems to have no impact whatsoever in the gaming world beyond Peter Molyneux's involvement in the pre-release news cycle. Do you think this game was supposed to break out of the Web3 community into the greater gaming ecosystem, or is it always a cynical shovelware designed to hoodwink investors? 
Um, I mean, I'm sure they would love if it broke out of the Web3 community uh, to the wider community here, but I think it is telling that this big NFT game from Peter Molyneux, uh, where people invested a lot of money, spent over $40 million in NFT sales, zero people are talking about it. I like the site for Legacy, it was down today when I tried to check it. Um, and like I went to their Twitter account just to see what they're doing, and it's like, it's a sad sign that, you know, they had a tweet recently where it's like, us looking at the game Legacy after Ape Fest 2023. And it was like a screenshot from the game, but it was all blurry. So it's like, okay, if if your market that you're trying to cater to is people who are going to Ape Fest 2023, <laughs> like, I don't know what's happening over there, but best of luck to you. Jeff, did you hear about this? Do you remember this whole Peter Molyneux NFT thing? No, but I remember P- Peter Molyneux. Um, and Legacy is... The perfect name for that. Just what a we does everybody remember the game where you where you tapped to get to the center of curiosity? That what's cube? inside the cube? Yeah. Yes, and then the guy the guy who won it said it was like it ruined his life or or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! Oh no! That that was that the that was the guy from the God Game, right? Well, no. So if you the person who, I can't remember the scams. Hansen, it's not this a scam. A These were good games back then. So Curiosity of the Game, it was a game where it was a cube and everybody in the world tapped onto this free game and whoever got to the center of it first won something that was going to change their life forever. And the guy who won, Brian Henderson or something, um, he had like superpowers in the game Goddess, which was the God game that Peter Molyneux released, G-O-D-U-S, which I think is still technically out there from 22 cans. Um, <laughs> I just permission to, um, recite something that Peter Molyneux once said, but in Polygon's video for goddess, there's an option to remember this, Jeff. There's an option to like smite people in this God game by like sticking a finger down and squishing them. And just to keep this, the finger episode in this video preview over at Polygon, I remember Peter Molyneux was talking about the game goddess and he was talking about this God ability. And he said, and this is how you finger people to death. And then I remember the person doing the interview, like, it's the cutest thing because they're like, whoop, like, they give the exact reaction that Kelsey just did and then, like, look at the camera and then just try and keep a straight face. And Peter Molitor goes, I'm sorry, that's the only way I can phrase it. <laughs> Anyways, other than that, uh, Peter Molitor's career, not so sure about. He, he was born to sell NFTs and yes. apparently he did it and it's over now. So, well, I remember, like, Will Wright also jumped on and it was pumping something that was also an nft game right kelsey am i misremembering this no it, you're right i can't remember was it nft or like ai or something like it's whatever the buzz were yes. of the day when that was announced was but it was also something that everyone was like eh. yeah this was in 2022 yeah. they announced he's making a metaverse nft game i don't think that'll ever come That's out right and yeah it's, it's fascinating to see like which developers jumped onto the nft bandwagon and how they're positioning it now like uh, Shannon Studstill, who's the head of Sony Santa Monica for years and years and years, and a nice lady. Um, but she left and went to Stadia. Then after Stadia imploded, she started a studio called Ludo, which was all about NFTs back in the day. And she had a lot of tweets. I went back and, and found these where she goes, sit for a moment before this year ends. And this was like 2021. And think about how enthralling it will be to own all of your own digital assets, assets, swords, shields, horses, ravens. The list goes on. The world is changing. And then if you don't believe it or don't get it, I don't have time to try to convince you. Sorry. 
talking about NFTs. Um, and so all of the messaging for Ludo, the studio, was about NFT is the power of blockchain, yada, yada, yada. And I went there and checked their site recently, and it's made a hot pivot. Now it's all about like, AI, we're about empowering players with AI. It's like, it's just, it's the same circle in some ways. It's fascinating to yeah. see just the difference in messaging here. There, there has always been that, that hype cycle in the video game industry. Um, but I feel like the NF, seeing the NFT stuff was especially discouraging because it was so clear from the beginning that like, this is, this is scam territory and, and you, you had a lot of people who were respected and companies that were respected that were just clearly coming out and being like, yeah, this is the future. Please come, you know, like invest in this stuff, invest your money. It's, it, it goes beyond like the idea of like, okay, buy a 3d TV because we're going to make all these video games in 3d you know and then that turns out not to happen like this was just straight up scam material and a lot of people should have known better and they they jumped right in it and and showed who they were at at that moment that's it uh look at nft G, uh, gdc which was was it 2022 yeah it was like early so it's gdc's really early in the year so i think it was 2022 and that that remains just the most surreal video game <laughs> event I have ever gone to, where it, half the booths were NFT based, and you had a bunch of like just this this mingling of half like actual game industry people and half people who have never done any of this stuff in their life yeah. and um, saying all kinds of wacky stuff, and half the half the parties were these like NFT parties where, you know, they're clearly just trying, like they, they're trying to sell you on it. So they weren't like exclusive or anything. They were, you know, you just walk in. So, um, my, to this day, my favorite dumb piece of game merch I have is, uh, uh, that I went to the Axie infinity party that year and, uh, they were giving out hoodies and the next day, all of their money was gone. There was that big thing of really? someone like hacked their wallet and literally <laughs> wiped out all of their money. That was the next day. And it was like that just that just sums up this year <laughs> or this show. Oh, my God. Then they're <laughs> on the like, streets just, outside and they needed you to give them the hoodie back just so they could stay warm mm-hmm, at that point. Mm-hmm. Jesus. Uh, Luca Alberti <laughs> writes in. They say, hey, man, Maxers, uh, today I have a conspiracy theory for you. I think games are longer than the internet makes them out to be. Luca, I think you're 100% right. They say, How Long to Beat is a great resource, but it has one fatal flaw. It triggers imposter syndrome in slower gamers. I never report on my completion times because I feel bad about them being above average, meaning it takes him longer, yeah, to play the games. So therefore, you don't report. You report that so that we know that it's actually longer. (laughs) But they say on top of that, reviewers are also part of the problem. We're asking a group of gamers that have been playing for years, often specialized in a specific genre for the review to gauge the length of a game. That is not the skill set of the average player. I do think you're right, Luca. Like I'm terrible at games. um, And, but every time I go to how long to beat, it's never about right. I feel like I'm always on the upper end of that. And I think you're right. It's that people who are going to how long to beat.com and entering their times they're the more hardcore crowd. Therefore, everything's going to be skewed a little bit. I think. 100%. There there are so many games that I somehow turn into 100-hour games that should not be. I think like when we did The Last of Us, uh, Deepest Dive, The Last of Us 2, I think that took me like 80 hours or something ridiculous. It's just like, 
Maybe not. I'd have to go back and check the tape. But it it seems like every game that that I play ends up being so much, especially open world games. That yeah. it's it's just it's hard to and and even even with how long to beats you know like categories where it's like okay just the main main missions versus side missions versus everything or whatever. It's like all of that is useless to me because I know that I'm just so much slower. At playing games. Don't worry though. Star well, Ocean 2, 35 like, hours. 35 the, the hours. Like, yeah. <laughs> the like complete plus extras thing, which is kind of the one that I, you know, I feel like most of us look at because it's like, I'm not speed running it. I'm going to do some random side quests and stuff, but I'm also not going to do literally everything in the game for, you know, 99% of the games that I play. That's still, that is a very fuzzy metric, even if. Even if you were like, you know, it was only scored by sort of the average person. It's like, what is what is plus extras? You know, what is what is like how many side quests is considered plus extras? Right. Yeah, I, I, I feel like for me, it's like a little self-inflicted because I, I I am a completionist. So I like to do all the things. And um, I don't know. I when I found out, like, for instance, when I found out in Final Fantasy uh, uh, 16 um, that like like main missions and even like some side quest missions like can sort of change all of the NPC banter in the world. When I found that out, I started just running around to all the POIs after every mission. And yeah. I mean, self-inflicted, like I said, and then like, you know, it takes like an extra 10, 15 hours if you're doing that, like every mission or every side. I mean, it's kind of impressive, but it is, it is like a lot. It um, is. Yeah. Is yeah. that like a narrative designer thing? Like, because you were probably adding some of that flavor text. You're like, I got to see all the, all the, yeah, text, right. all, the all the things people wrote. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah. I mean, I thought I did think it was, I did think it was really cool because I feel like most people probably just kept it pushing right i finished this mission i'm gonna go to the next one but it's like if you go back to like one of the early towns like turns out everybody's talking about the thing in the sky there too you know and it's like oh and they they do it for like tinier things too in the game and so i don't know i i i always i feel like i always like that um about narrative design how like it can be the stuff that no one really gives a crap about but like still sort of adds flavor to the world if you if you like sit around and just look at it um but yeah, I don't know. Self-inflicted, yeah. like I said. That, that is that is one of those things in games where it's like if I talk to someone and then I talk to them again and they say something different, yes. I am talking to every single character <laughs> yep. until I until yeah. I get a repeat for some reason. Yeah. 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 For uh, sure. <laughs> Jonathan R writes in over there on Patreon, which by the way, <laughs> Kelsey stopped me if um, my ego has uh run amok, but I just checked it. The name of the winner for Curiosity is Brian Henderson. And I think that's the name I guessed. And so it was. I would like a slight pat on the back uh, from every listener individually. Come to my house and pat me on the back for remembering the name of the Curiosity. It it changed his life forever because we we remember. (laughs) That's right. We We remember remember and honor you, Brian Henderson. His name is enshrined in history. That is... That's that's the life-changing part. That's right. His name was Brian Anderson. Uh, Jonathan R. writes in, they say, what do you hope to see from Sony Studios over the next few years? With Spider-Man 2 released, there are no first-party Sony games with a release date announced that I'm aware of. That's interesting. Uh, We know of Wolverine, Fair Games, and Concord. Uh, They're coming at some point in the future, but that's it. Rumors even say that the Last of Us multiplayer game has been put on hold. 
We know next to nothing about what Team Asobi, Bend, London Studio, Sucker Punch, Blue Point, Housemark, Naughty Dog, etc. are up to. Personally, I'm very excited to find out about Sucker Punch's follow-up to Ghost of Tsushima, but what are you all hoping gets announced in the next wave of Sony titles? Jay, I know you're just inside a Sony studio, but what do you want? <laughs> oh, man. Uh, I don't... It's it's weird. Like I feel like I don't have a specific game but i will say and it might be kind of a little annoying to say this but i think it would be cool if there were maybe less sort of like cinematic prestige games that sony's known for i mean i know that's super annoying to say um but i i don't know i i still think about astro's playroom a little bit like a game that's not it does what i was gonna say yeah. Right, you know, like there, like I want to see what it would look like if there were a lot of Sony games that maybe moved away a little bit from plot, which I feel like goes against what I normally like in games. But I, I, I thought that was I thought Astro's Playroom was a cool ass game, and it yeah. had some really cool mechanics and gameplay, right? And I feel like I feel like with the controller and everything for the P5, like that's that's where that that like games like that would thrive there, you know. So yeah, yeah. I I'm totally with you. Like obviously, I'm curious to see what Naughty Dog is up to, but like. I think Team Asobi and Housemark, like if they were just leaning all in and were focusing on gameplay and coming up some weird novel gameplay, Team Asobi, maybe it's a platformer, Housemark, some weird action game. Like I would, I would hope they go that direction and let the other studios yeah. focus on some dramatic experiences, <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. I, I would love to see just new IPs across the board yeah. and like leave sequels behind. And I would, I would love to see like Sony's reaction to, Tears of the Kingdom just being so gameplay heavy and physics heavy and then and and being such a success. I would love if they just looked at it and said, okay, let's let's try and do something like that. Yeah. Obviously not exact not like a not, you know, like a Rise of the Phoenix kind of ripoff, <laughs> but like but like, yeah, let's go in, let's go all in on on making a weirder kind of gameplay offshoot that just really focuses on that kind of on on the and especially like on the tech side of things, like so, like you you can't fault Tony for or you can't fault Sony for their tech, but just like it would it would be nice to see more of that in not just open world third person mm-hmm. story focused uh, adventure action games. Yeah, but like looking at their you know studio list, I'm trying to think of like who would surprise us with that type of thing. I guess Media Molecule. Like hoping they can create something that's completely surprising. Um, Blue Point, they have so much experience. I would want them to be making new IP, but um, they're the remake masters, you know. But I think they'd probably make something if they're making new IP that they could draw lessons from from the amazing remakes they made. I, yeah, I, I guess. But at the same time, like you could have you could have looked at Gorilla and said that yeah. you know pre pre Horizon and said, well, they're the they're the first person shooter guys, so obviously that's what they have to keep on doing. Like. Just give some of those some of those studios that have so much talent and you are giving them so much money, like just let them off the leash and let them do something completely different and and fun that for a while. Yeah. Um, and see what yeah. comes out of it. It'd be nice. Yeah. Uh, Tom writes in, they say, hey, everybody, congratulations. Um, a commemorative statue is being erected in your honor in your hometown. What pose are you striking for the statue? <laughs> This is tough. Is and, this because I paid off my house in Animal Crossing? Is it like a gold statue? It like is. That? That's for you. Okay. For me, it's because I remembered Brian Henderson's name. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, go-to pose. I mean, the the birds, are they on both your shoulders, Kelsey? Is that a lock? 
Oh yeah, I could do some very like a like a falconer kind of pose, um, but with my two very small birds that are attempting to fly away right yeah. now. Be- would you want the birds to be part of a statue or just be <laughs> in a pose so that real birds could land on it? Because it is a statue. Ooh, well, we gotta we'll leave room. You know, I can have my arm oh, kind of out like right. this with one <laughs> bird on it, and then that'll encourage. More, burn. yeah, they'll come sit next but then Very it's nice. kind of tough. Like, with the hand positioning, how are you going to make it so that your hands are close and you can do like it can be a kinetic sculpture and the finger wave thing can be happening because, but like, it moves in the wind, so it's like an optical <laughs> illusion. It looks like you're doing the finger waggle. Well, and- it can't be made out of solid gold, then, probably. We okay. got to do something different for the I fingers guess. there, but I guess that's fine. We'll come up with something. Let's see, Jay's statue would be him. Getting home safe and eating a pizza. <laughs> I love that. Walking through a doorway covered in band-aids. I don't know what getting home safe looks like visually. <laughs> um, Jeff, um, let's see. What do you got? What do you got for yourself, man? <laughs> yeah, a shrug. Uh, it'd be him. Someone's holding up a copy of Red Dead Redemption 2. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it. It's burning them. That's it. There we go. <laughs> Uh, I guess I'd be sitting at a desk podcasting or something boring. Um, all right. Uh, what do y'all like for question of the week? What question stands out as the best? The Peter Molyneux thing. I like that person bringing up that point of like, no one else is talking about this. I'm always a sucker for those. I like the person talking about aftermath, um, and second wind. Uh, we got best pizza spots. Jay, you're the guest of honor. I'll let you choose and I won't judge your choice based on Kelsey's recommendation. Oh man. Um, I don't I like the I like the uh the the more making games more complicated question. I thought that was thought that was kind of fun. Making games more complicated. Which one is this? Yeah, Am I blind? That was the question where it was like, have you ever made oh, like Oh yes, this is accidentally yes. Yeah. Okay, got it, got it, got it. There we go. Ian Sweetage, you just won question of the week. Congratulations. <laughs> uh you just won the prize from I'm a bit. Uh now Oh, and the prize, of course, is the chicory vinyl. Uh, but now it's time for a segment that we call Get a Load of This. Oh, there's a jingle. Oh, you better believe there's a jingle. Um, I'll go first. Uh, hey, get a load of this. Maybe this is some basic living on planet Earth type stuff. Uh, and I'm sure I learned this at some point in my life, but I just had a moment this last week where I was like, wait a minute. What, the month of April, what, what is, what is that named after? I, like, you know, days of the week, you got the idea of like, okay, it's cool. You learn that it's like some fusion and there's some Scandinavian mythology in there. Like, okay, Wednesday is Woden's na- day and Tears Day is Tuesday, all that stuff. Thor's day. But I was like, these days are these months. I, I mean, pop quiz. Does anyone know what a majority of the months are named after? I know July is like Julius Caesar yes. related, right? Yep. And August is uh, Augustus and Caesar. Augustus, yeah. Yep. It's, so it's a lot of Roman stuff, but a lot of the stuff I did not know. Like, okay, January's Janus, the god, um, obviously. But then February is, and Jeff, you can't be smug because you have no idea, right, where I'm going with this? No. Okay. February uh, comes from the Latin word februa, which is to cleanse. April comes from the Latin word Apero, which is to open slash bud. September comes from the Latin word septum, meaning seven, because it was the seventh month of the early Roman calendar. Oh, and December was the 10th, right? Yes. So September, October, November, December, that is seven, eight, nine, ten. Mm. Uh, in Latin, apparently, or ancient Rome because of their weird calendars. But it's, yeah, not as simple as you think. You know, May 
is named it for the Roman goddess Maya, who oversaw the growth of plants. I didn't know a lot of this stuff. I don't know how I dodged this completely, but that's it for month news. You didn't, you didn't take your, your month <laughs> class in high school? <laughs> I majored in months in college, though, so I really should have learned this at some point. Uh, Jay, do you have something? Yeah, um, I just found out recently, although um, this might not be true, but I've seen more examples of it being true, but I think <laughs> John Williams, the legendary composer... Is from my small town of Floral Park. Really? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I say I think because, like, I'm not sure. Like, some places are like Floral Park. Other places are just like New York, you know? But, uh, but yeah. And, I mean, like, maybe that doesn't seem like a big deal. But, like, as someone who's been in Floral Park all their life, it's – I mean, there's nothing really special about this place. So, it's like, oh, that's crazy. Like, I mean, maybe he went to the same park when he was a kid right down the block or something. That's so, right. That's yeah. right. I don't know. Right. Uh, yeah. It didn't John Williams also like compose the engine music for like or like the engine sounds of one of those electric cars? Do you guys hear about this? What? Is it, yeah, this should have been my get a load of this. That's um, his NFT <laughs> leap. I feel like is like just selling yeah. out to compose an engine car. He he composed <laughs> like yeah engine sounds because electric cars are you know normally pretty quiet, but I guess you know people aren't used to that so they had a legendary composer compose the, <laughs> the fake engine sound and i'm gonna look this up which one it is real quick because wait hans zimmer oh it's hans zimmer i think that's what i'm finding i don't know if he's the only oh, one to do it I'm apparently sorry. he yeah the driving sound of the first ever electrified car okay yeah i'm Weird. sorry no nope, no no nope, nope, that's legendary fair composer it still counts <laughs> still counts uh jeff am you going yeah, get a load of this. Uh, this is, speaking of scams in the video game industry, this is a new video from Carl Yopst um, entitled The Retro Video Game Market Has Officially Crashed. Um, and he was the one who reported on the retro video game market and how uh, auction houses and the um, grading companies were kind of working together to create this bubble. Right. And, and he said that, in his reporting, which was mostly very, like, the reaction to it was very supportive, but there were lots of people saying that it's not actually a bubble and that prices are going to stay where they were. And and this the video is like a 15-minute kind of victory lap of him pointing out. He, he goes back and finds, like, uh, you know, the prices that games sold for at auctions at kind of the height of it, and then... Uh, like similarly or like exactly graded, like the same grade, same games and what they have sold for recently. Sometimes even like the exact same copies that have, that were purchased back then and then um, sold again. And uh, it's not good news for anybody who bought into them back then. But um, I, have, it, I have a huge problem with the title of this video, not with the reporting itself, but with the title, because this is literally only talking about the graded sealed mm -hmm. market which is like a sliver this big of the entire retro yeah. game collecting you know like it the the bubble was this part it was this, right. this other part that was the that was the sealed you know slabbed market and mm -hmm. uh um prices have settled a time like they are no longer climbing on a lot of other retro stuff uh, which is i mean that is new it has basically just been climbing since covid basically um but 
Yeah, the I saw the title of this video and I'm like, he's not really going to try to argue that like the whole bubble has burst. And no, yeah. he doesn't. No, just, no, yeah, it's for sure. That part of it, that it has. It is, it, yeah, it is the fallout from the scam kind of inflation of of those prices. Um, that was a that was a very specifically orchestrated thing that he's just kind of following up on in his reporting. Right on. Get a load of this. Um, there is a cool. I guess this is probably more of a, a shout out thing that I, I should have saved for the end, but I want to talk about it anyways. Um, there's a cool event. Um, happening next weekend called Really Rad Weekend in Florida um, that I am going to be at. And um, this is just a, a friend of mine who uh, runs a game store and bar in Florida. Um, and he basically is just like, he just puts all his time and effort into making the coolest event ever. I'm pretty sure it makes him zero dollars. It probably makes him negative dollars, but it's just a getting together of a bunch of really cool people at like a kind of like a... I, I, can't remember the name of the hotel, but it's like a it's like a resort ish hotel with like a big pool and everything. So in the middle of the November, like rainy, terrible November uh, in Seattle here, I get to go to Florida and talk about the Wonder Swan and running a game store to a Sweet. bunch of people in Florida. And yeah, if you're in the area, you should show up. What's it called again? A really rad weekend. Sweet. There's a link below for. And it's going to be really rad. Guaranteed. Jeff, did you pull in from the community? I did uh, get a lot of this. Um, this one was posted by Nick from Atlanta and also um, Unsupremi. Um, and it's a game, uh, people make games video called The Games Industry Must Not Stay Silent on Palestine. Um, and they kind of they teamed up with Tamor Hussein and Rami Ishmael and um, several other people kind of in the games industry talking about what's happening in Palestine and how. Uh, Tamar, Tamar Hussein was kind of like the the catalyst behind it because he had kind of called for um, people to pay attention to kind of all the things that had been happening in Palestine back in 2021. Right. And the video game industry like really responded to that because, you know, that that has been a growing part of the video game industry, kind of caring more about social issues um, and not shying away from talking about kind of those big things. And And he's. His his video kind of looks at it through the lens of what has you know obviously happened recently in the war that's going on there now and and kind of like how how the response just hasn't been the same this this time around and and right. just kind of wanted a call to kind of educate people to talk about the situation and to kind of share the Palestinian perspective on it um, and it's a really really great um, affecting video that that everyone should watch and there's also. Uh, People Make Games has a fundraiser associated with it to kind of raise money to help um, Palestinian children who've been injured during the war. And it's it is, you know, they're dead on that. It should be something that people are not afraid to talk about and to um, support the Palestinian people. So um, it's everyone should check it out. There we go. Link below if you're interested. Uh, Let's see. At MinMax this week, uh, Party Chat, our bonus podcast, you unlock if you're a $5 supporter. Uh, on Party Chat, we talk about, these are the type of dorky, dorky conversations I would really like to hear if I was a listener, um, but we talk about like sponsorship, sponsored content, the do's and don'ts, concerns from the community, what's the right line. We've had some sponsored episodes of Trivia Tower. Is that too much? We unpack all that stuff talking about the community. So if you want to hear us talk about all that stuff, unlock Party Chatter bonus podcast. We talk more about VR games. I try to convince Haley McLean that she should play Myst. Um, we talk about Bob Buell in the community. Jeff, he ranked. 
his 10 favorite Thanksgiving Day jokes that we've done over the last seven mm. years. And so he played all those back. So if you want what he sees as the 10 best jokes we've ever written for our Thanksgiving joke-a-thons, uh, they're in that episode wow. of Party Chat. Uh, it's fun stuff. That's coming up, by the way. Uh, if you're not familiar, every Thanksgiving, we write mediocre jokes about things to be thankful for that year in the world of gaming. And so that'll be coming up uh, the week of Thanksgiving for everybody. Also coming up that week on Tuesday, the 21st, we have uh, the new episode of Trivia Tower, where if you support us at any tier on Patreon, you can compete in game trivia. We have a ton of game codes to give away, including for Metal Gear Solid Master Collection Volume 1. So if you know a thing or two about video games, you can support independent games media, compete in games trivia. It's very simple. And then you win a code for Metal Gear Solid and a ton more. Uh, just a reminder, too, we have the deepest dive on Alan Wake 2 happening. We are picking that back up next week, so you can submit your thoughts on the game through Saga's Chapter 6 and Alan's Chapter 6 this Sunday, uh, November 12th, over on Patreon. If you support us any tier, you can submit a comment for us to read during our discussion, then that episode will be airing next week, and then the week after that, we'll be wrapping up Alan Wake 2 with the best, most thorough discussion about that game on the internet, so hope you enjoy those huge discussions there. Um, reminder, if you review this show on Apple Podcast and include your Discord handle or your Twitter handle, uh, you are automatically in the running and your odds are pretty good for winning a code for Detective Pikachu Returns on the Nintendo Switch. Thanks to everybody for doing that, leaving a review. It helps spread the word in a big way. Also, reminder, we have our big charity stream coming up December 2nd. That is the Give to the Max stream. Uh, since we've delayed it, it has only gotten better. We have a surprise which will make it a lot better, which we'll get into in a bit, um, but we're going to be rotating people through the MinMax studio, and we have a ton of things to auction off for charity, like a Spider-Man 2 PS5 bundle with the Spider-Man 2 controller as well. We have a signed copy of the Phantom Liberty, the Cyberpunk Phantom Liberty Collector's Edition, signed by CD Projekt Red. Um, there's a ton more great stuff. A date with Clive Rossfield, Jason? Maybe you're interested in that. We're going to be auctioning that off as well. So a ton of stuff to give away. A bunch of Game Informer posters. A ton of stuff from the old Game Informer office that uh, we recently got uh, that we're going to be auctioning off as well. Jeff, I'm including. Do you remember that old skateboard that was hanging on the wall that had like a bunch oh, of pieces of uh, Game Informer art on that? We're going to be auctioning that off for charity. So all the money is going to Connections Independence to help support foster kids in Minneapolis. Um, but that's it for our plugs. Jay! Uh, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. It was a blast. Yeah. Uh, folks want to follow you. Where should they go? Uh, they can follow my Twitter, which, uh, God, if I remember it, it should be my last name underscore first name, I think. Maybe. I think I'm it's sure I think it's just your straight up name, isn't it? Unless I put just the my wrong straight one. Up name. Gosh, <laughs> I'm, bad, I'm bad at plugging myself, as you can see. Oh. Um, uh, no, but yeah, they could uh, Twitter for sure is usually where I'm, I'm most active so yeah right on there's a link below if you want to follow him on there and um if you're a game studio or you work at a game studio and people are interested in hiring somebody with a narrative focus give me the full range of people who should reach out to you uh writers narrative designers and editors any anybody on the narrative team please 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 passionate writer over here i'd love to help you uh, or, or contribute to your games so yeah right on there we go link below for his contact info in the description but 
that is it for this episode of the Min Max Show podcast. Thanks everybody for watching or listening. Thank you, every, thanks everybody at the Game Champion tier. If you jump in at the fifty dollars tier, you can choose any game under the sun. We'll declare you the champion of it. Jessica Starr jumped in and said, "I only want one game, and that's Sid Meier's Alpha Centauri, officially the champion of it." Hell yeah! Nice. Procyon number six is the champion of Ghost of Tsushima. Rabid Lime, diabolical. They chose for their one game. No one else has done this. Chess. So Rabbit Lime is the champion of chess now and forever. Way to go, Rabbit Lime. And thanks to everybody else for that level of support over there at patreon.com slash minmax with two N's. We ask you to go there every week. And the people that do, thank you. You're the people that keep us around. Uh, but that's it. Thank you so much, everybody. Until next week, be good, have fun, let's go. Let's go.